Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Inedited remains in verse and prose of Isaac Walton, author of the complete Angler with notes and preface. B. Richard Hearn Shepherd, London, 1878. Preface. Few men who have written books have been able to win so large a share of the personal affection of their readers as honest Isaac Walton has done, and few books are laid down with so genuine a feeling of regret as the complete angler, certainly is, that they are no longer one of the gentlest and tenderest spirits of the seventeenth century. We all know his dear old face, with its cheerful, happy, serene look and we should all have liked to accompany him on one of those angling excursions from Tottenham High Cross, and to have listened to the quaint, garrulous, sportive talk, the outcome of a religion which was like his homely garb, not too good for every day where we see him, now diligent in his business, now commemorating the virtues of that cluster of scholars and churchmen with whose friendship he was favored in youth, and teaching his young brother-in-law, Thomas Ken, to walk in their saintly footsteps now busy with his rod and line, or walking and talking with a friend, staying now and then to quaff an honest glass at a wayside alehouse, leading a simple, cheerful, blameless life. Through near a century of pleasant years. 1. We have said that the reader regrets that Walton should have left so little behind him, his, angler, and his lives are all that is known to most. But we are now enabled to present those who love his memory with a collection of fugitive pieces in verse and prose, extending in date of composition over a period of fifty years, beginning with the elegy on Don, in 1633, and terminating only with his death in 1683. All these, however unambitious, are more or less characteristic of the man, and impregnated with the same spirit of genial piety that distinguishes the two well-known books to which they form a supplement. Walton's devotion to literature must have begun at an early age, for in a little poem, entitled The Love of Amos and Laura, published in 1619, when he was only twenty-six, and attributed variously to Samuel Purchase, author of The Pilgrims, and to Samuel Page, we find the following dedication to him. To my approved and much respected friend is Wa. To thee, thou more than thrice beloved friend, I too unworthy of so great a bliss, these harsh dumb lines I here to thee commend. Thou being cause it is now as it is, for hadst thou held thy tongue, by silence might these have been buried in oblivious night. If they were pleasing, I would call them thine, and dissolve my title to the verse, but being bad, I needs must call them mine. No ill thing can be clothed in thy verse. Accept them then, and where I have offended, raise thou it out, and let it be amended. S.B. 2. What poems Walton wrote in his youth we have now no means of knowing. It has not been discovered that any have been printed, unless we adopt the theory advocated by Mr. Singer, 3, and by a writer in the Retrospective Review, 4, that the poem of Doma and Clearchus, which he published in the last year of his life, as a posthumous fragment of his relation John Chalkhill, was really a juvenile work of his own. Some plausibility is lent to this notion by the fact that Walton speaks of the author with so much reticence and reserve in his preface to the volume, and also that in introducing two of Chalkhill's songs into the complete angler, he does not bestow on them the customary words of commendation.
This theory has been rebutted by others, who assert that Walton was of too truthful and guileless a nature to resort to such an artifice. We confess that we are unable to see anything dishonest in the adoption, as a pseudonym, of the name of a deceased friend, or anything more than Walton appears to have done on another occasion when he published his two letters on Love and Truth. It is certain, however, that a family of Chalk Hills existed, with whom Walton was closely connected by his marriage with the sister of Bishop Ken. But that an acquaintant and friend of Edmund Spencer, capable of writing such a poem as Dalma and Clearchus, should have kept his talents so concealed, that in an age of commendatory verses no slightest contemporary record of him exists, is, to say the least, extraordinary. There are cogent arguments then on both sides of the question, and there is very little positive proof on either, so we must be content to leave the matter in some doubt and obscurity. The first production to which our author attached the well-known signature of is Wa was an elegy on the death of Dr. Don, the dean of S.T. Paul's, prefixed to a collection of Don's poems. Walton was then forty years of age. From this time forward we find him more or less engaged and not very long intervals, on literary labors, till the very year of his death. The care which Walton spent on his production seems to have been very great. He wrote and rewrote, corrected, amended, rescinded, and added. This very poem, The Elegy on Don, he completely remodeled in his old age, when he inserted it in the collection of his lives. But we have thought it well to give the original version here as a literary curiosity and the first work of his that has come down to us. The original lives themselves, especially those of Watton and Don, were mere sketches of what they are in their present enlarged form. Walton had the good fortune to be thrown very early in life into the society and intimacy of men who were his superiors in rank and education. But he had enough of culture, joined to his inherent reverence of mind, to appreciate and understand all that they had and he wanted. The preface to Sir John Skeffington's Harrow of Lorenzo had for two centuries lain forgotten, and escaped the notice of Walton's biographers, till in 1852 it was discovered by Dr. Bliss of Oxford, and communicated by him to the late William Pickering. The original Spanish work was first published in 1630. The author's real name was not Lorenzo, but Balthazar Gratian, a Jesuit of Aragon, who flourished during the first half of the 17th century when the cultivated style took possession of Spanish prose and rose to its greatest consideration. 5. It is a collection of short, wise apothems and maxims for the conduct of life, sometimes illustrated by stories of valor, or prowess, or magnanimity. Of the old Castilian heroes who figure in Count Lucaner, the book, though now no longer read, must have been very popular at one time, for there exist two or three later English versions of it, without However, the nervous concentration of style and idiomatic diction that characterized the translation sent forth to the world under Walton's auspices. The two letters published in 1680 under the title of Love and Truth, 6, were written respectively in the years 1668 and 1679. The evidence of their authorship is twofold, and we think quite conclusive. In one of the very few copies known to exist— and now in the library of Emmanuel College, Cambridge, its original possessor, Archbishop Sancroft, has written, is, Walton's two letters conchi distemps of ye times, 1680, and Dr. Zook appended to his reprint of the tract, 7, 
a number of parallel passages from other acknowledged writings of Walton, of themselves almost sufficient to fix the question on internal evidence alone. In the British Museum copy of this tract is the following note on one of the flyleaves in the autograph of the late William Pickering. The present is the only copy I have met with after twenty years' search, excepting the one in Emmanuel College, Cambridge. W. Pickering. The copy described above, i.e., the Emmanuel College copy, appears to be the same edition as the present, that now in the British Museum, but has the following variation. After the title page is printed. The author to the stationer. Mr. Brougham. And C. And the epistle ends with. Your friend. Without the NN which is found in this copy. But what is more remarkable, the printed word author is run through, and corrected with a pen, and over it written publisher, which is evidently in the handwriting of Walton. So Mr. Pickering further certifies. The following allusion towards the bottom of page 37 confirms the idea of Walton's authorship. Speaking of Hugh Peters and John Lilborn, the writer says, Their turbulent lives and uncomfortable deaths are not I hope yet worn out of the memory of many. He that compares them with the holy life and happy death of Mr. George Herbert, as it is plainly and I hope truly writ by Mr. Isaac Walton, may in it find a perfect pattern for an humble and devout Christian to imitate. And see. The following are the chief parallel passages in this pamphlet, and in Walton's other writings, as indicated by Zook. Second letter, page 19. Life of George Herbert. I wish as heartily as you Mr. George Herbert having do that all such clergymen's changed his sword and wives as have silk clothes silk clothes into a canonical bedaubed with lace, and coat, thus worn misses. Herbert their heads hanged about against this egregious folly with painted ribbons, were of striving for precedency, enjoin at penance for their. You are now a minister's pride, and their husband's wife, and must now so far forget punished for being so tame, or your father's house as not so, lovingly simple, as to suffer to claim a precedence of any of them, for, by such clothes, of your parishioners, and see, they proclaim their own ambition, and their husband's folly. And I say the like, concerning their striving for precedency. Page 20. Life of George Herbert. And I confess also, what one cure for the wickedness you say of a clergyman's of the times would be, bidding to fast on the eaves of for the clergy themselves holy days, in Lent, and that to keep the emberweeks emberweeks, and I wish strictly, and see, those biddings were forborne, or better practiced by themselves. Page 20. Life of George Herbert. And I wish as heartily as those ministers that huddled you can, that they would not up the church prayers only read, but pray, though without a visible reverence common prayer, and not in affection, namely, such huddle it up so fast as to as semed to say the Lord's many do, by getting into a prayer or collect in a breath. Middle of a second collect, before a devout hearer can say amen to the first. Underscore preface to Sanderson's 21 page 20. Sermons 1655. Underscore. And now, having unbowled but since I had thus adventured my very soul thus to unbowel myself, freely to you, and see, and to lay open the very inmost thoughts of my heart. Page 21. Life of Sanderton. A corrosive, or, as Solomon riches so gotten, and added says of ill-gotten riches, to his great estate, would like gravel in his teeth. Prove like gravel in his teeth. Page 21. Life of Sir H. Watton. 
those bishops and martyrs it was the advice of Sir that assisted in this reformation, Henry Wotton. Take heed did not, as Sir Henry Wotton of thinking the farther you go said wisely, think the farther from the Church of Rome, they went from the Church of Rome, the nearer you are to God, the nearer they got to heaven. Page 23. Life of Richard Hooker. To make the women, the here the very women and shopkeepers, and the middle shopkeepers were able to judge witted people, less of predestination, and determined bussy, and more humble, and what laws were fit to lowly in their own eyes, and be obeyed or abolished. To think that they are either called, nor are fit to meddle with, and judge of the most hidden and mysterious points in divinity, and government of the church and state. Page 36. Life of Sanderson. I desire you to look back some years before the unhappy with me to the beginning of Long Parliament, this the late Long Parliament nation being then happy in 1640, at which time we in peace, were the quietest and happiest people in the Christian world. To the present editor the collection and annotation of these remains has been a most welcome labor of love. Some of his oldest and most cherished memories connect themselves with the author of the Complete Angler. That book was one of the first that he ever read with real and genuine delight, and even before reading days commenced, in the earliest dawn of memory, the place where Walton had cut his familiar signature of, is, Wa, on Chaucer's tomb in Westminster Abbey, was pointed out to him often by a kindred spirit now here no more. The name of Walton will also be found enshrined in the earliest prose production, 8, to which the editor prefixed his own name, R.H.S. Footnotes. 1. Happy old man, whose worth all mankind knows except himself, who charitably shows the ready road to virtue, and to praise, the road to many long and happy days, the noble arts of generous piety, and how to compass true felicity. He knows no anxious cares, through near a century of pleasant years, easy he lives and cheerful shall he die, well spoken of by late posterity. June 5, 1683. Flatman's commendatory verses prefixed to Dalma and Clearchus Poems and Songs by Thomas Flatman, 3rd edition 2. The Love of Amos and Laura Written by S.B. London Printed for Richard Hawkins, Dwelling in Chancery Lane, near Suriance in 1619 Printed at the end of a volume entitled Alcilia, Philoparthen's Lewing Folly and C, which, from its being signed at the end with the initials J.C has been attributed to Walton's friend, John Chalkhill, whose posthumous poem, Dolma and Clearchus, he published in the last year of his life. The lines to Walton do not appear in the earlier quarto edition of the book issued by the same publisher in 1613, or in the later quarto of 1628. 3. Dolma and Clearchus, a pastoral romance, by John Chalkhill. First published by Isaac Walton, 1683. A new edition. Revised and corrected by S. W. Singer. Chiswick, 1820. 4. Volume 4. 1821. Pages 230 to 249. 5. Ticknor's History of Spanish Literature, London. 1849. Volume 3. Page 177. 6. Love and Truth Slash and Slash Too Modest and Peaceable Slash Letters Slash Concerning Slash The Distempers of the Present Times. Slash written slash from a quiet and conformable citizen of slash London, to two bussy and factious slash shopkeepers in Coventry, slash, one pet, four, 
15. But let none of you suffer as a busybody in other men's slash matters. Slash. London, slash printed by M.C. for Henry Brougham at the Guns slash in S.T. Paul's Churchyard. 1680. Collation 4-2. Pages 4. With title, 40, Siga 1 and 2, B.T. 4. 7 York, 1795, pages X. 70. 8. The School of Pantagruel, Sunbury, 1862, page 9. An Elegy upon Dr. Don. 1633. Juvenilia, or Certain Paradoxes and Problems, written by I. Don. London, printed by E.P. for Henry Sale, and are to be sold at the Signa of the Tiger's Head, in St. Paul's Churchyard, Anno Dom. 1633, pages 382 to 384. Dot underscore. Poems by J.D. with elegies on the author's death. London. Printed by M.F. for John Marriott, and are to be sold at his shop in S.T. Dunstan's churchyard in Fleet Street, 1635. The text is printed from the revised version of 1635, and the original readings of 1633 are given at the foot of the page. An Elegy upon Dr. Don. Our Don is dead, England should mourn, may say we had a man where language chose to stay and shew her graceful power. 1. I would not praise that and his vast wit, which in these vain days make many proud, but, as they served to unlock that cabinet, his mind, where such a stock of knowledge was reposed, as all lament, or should, this general cause of discontent. And I rejoice I am not so severe, but as I write a line, to weep a tear for his decease, such sad extremities may make such men as I write elegies. And wonder not, for, when a general loss falls on a nation, and they slight the cross, God hath rice prophets to awaken them from stupefaction. Witness my milled pen, not as to upbraid the world, though now it must freely and boldly, for the cause is just. Dull age, oh I would spare thee, but th art worse, thou art not onely dull, but hast the curse of black ingratitude. If not, couldst thou part with miraculous dawn, and make no vow for thee, and thine, successively to pay a sad remembrance to his dying day? Did his youth scatter poetry, wherein was all philosophy? Was every sin, charactered in his satyrs? Made so fule that some have feared their shapes, and kept their souls safer by reading verse? Did he give days past marble monuments, to those, whose praise he would perpetuate? Did he, I fear the dull will doubt these at his twentieth year? But more matered, did his full soul conceive, and in harmonious holy numbers weave a, too, crown of sacred sonnets, fit to adorn a dying martyr's brow, or, to be worn on that blessed head of Mary Magdalene, after she whipped Christ's feet, but not till then? Did he, fit for such penitence as she and he to use, leave us a litany, which all devout men love, and sure, it shall, as times grow better, grow more classical? Did he write hymns for piety, for wit, three, equal to those, great grave prudentious writ? Spake he all languages? Knew he all laws? The grounds and use of physic, but because twas mercenary, waved it? Went to see that blessed place of Christ's nativity? Did he return and preach him? Preach him so as since s. Paul none did, none could? Those no, such as were blessed to hear him, this is truth. 4. Did he confirm thy aged? 5. Convert thy youth? Did he these wonders? And is this dear loss mourned by so few? 
few for so great a cross, but sure the silent are ambitious all to be close mourners at his funeral. If not, in common pity they forbear by repetitions to renew our care. Or, knowing, grief conceived, concealed, consumes man irreparably, as poison fumes do waste the brain, make silence a safe way, to enlarge the soul from these walls, mud and clay, materials of this body, to remain with dawn in heaven. Where no promiscuous pain lessens the joy we have, for, with him, all are. Satisfied with joy is essential. Dwell on this joy my thoughts. Oh, do not call, six, grief back, by thinking of his funeral. Forget he loved me, waste not my sad years, which has to David seventy, filled with fears and sorrow for his death. Forget his parts, which find a living grave in good men's hearts. And for, my first is daily paid for sin, forget to pay my second sigh for him, forget his powerful preaching, and forget I am his convert. O oh, my frailty! Let my flesh be no more heard, it will obtrude this lethargy. So should my gratitude, my flows, seven, of gratitude should so be broke, which can no more be, than Don's virtues spoke by any but himself, for which cause, I write no encomium, but this elegy, eight, which, as a free will offering, I here give fame, and the world, and parting with it grieve I want abilities, fit to set forth a monument, great, as Don's matchless worth, is. Wa. Footnotes. 1. In the edition of 1633, the poem opens thus, Is Don, great Don, deceased? Then England say thou hast lost a man where language chose to stay and shew its graceful power, and see. 2. La Corona. 3. For piety and wit, 1633. 4. As none but he did, or could do? They know, such as were blessed to hear him know, tis truth. 1633. 5. Age in the edition of 1633. 6. My thoughts, dwell on this joy, and do not call, 1633. 7. Vows in the edition of 1633. 8. Write no encomium, but an elegy. Here the poem closed in the edition of 1633. Lines on a portrait of Don in his eighteenth year. 1635. Engraved under William Marshall's portrait of Don. Anno Domini. 1591, Itatis Sui 18. Prefixed to the second edition of Don's poems, 1635. On a portrait of Don taken in his eighteenth year. This was for youth, strength, mirth, and with that time most count their golden age, but T was not thine. Thine was thy later years, so much refined from youth's dross, mirth and wit, as thy pure mind thought, like the angels, nothing but the praise of thy Creator in those last, best days. Wins this book, thy emblem, which begins with love, but endies, with sighs and tears for sins. Is wa. Commendatory verses prefixed to the merchant's map of commerce. 1638. The merchant's map of commerce, wherein the universal manner and matter of trade is compendiously handled. By Lewis Roberts Merchant. At London, printed by R.O. for Ralph Mabmxxvi. Fall. The second edition, corrected and much enlarged. London Cooksey. Folios. In praise of my friend the author, and his book. To the reader. If thou wouldst be a statesman, and survey kingdoms for information, hey race away made plain, and easy, fitter far for thee than great Ortelius his geography. If thou wouldst be a gentleman, in more than title onely, 
This map yields the store of observations, fit for ornament, or use, or to give curious ears content. If thou wouldst be a merchant by this book, for tis a prize worth gold, and do not look daily for such disbursements, no, tis rare, and should be cast up with thy richest ware. Reader, if thou be any, or all three, for these may meet and make a harmony, then praise this author for his useful pains, whose aim is public good, not private gains. Is. Wa. Preface to Quarles's Shepherd Oracles. 1645. The Shepherd's Oracles, delivered in certain eglogs. By Fra Quarles. London, printed by M. F. for John Marriott and Richard Marriott, and are to be sold at their shop in S. Dunstan's Churchyard, Fleet Street, under the dial. 1646. To the reader. Reader, though the author had some years before his lamented death, compassed, reviewed, and corrected these eglogs, yet he left no epistle to the reader, but only a title, and a blanky leaf for that purpose. Whether he meant some allegorical exposition of the shepherds' names, or their eglogs, is doubtful, but tis certain that as they are, they appear a perfect pattern of the author, whose person, and mind, were both lovely, and his conversation such as distilled pleasure, knowledge, and virtue, into his friends and acquaintance. Tis confused, these eglogs are not so wholly divine as many of his published meditations, which speak his affections to be set upon things that are above, and yet even such men have their intermitted hauras, and, as their company gives occasion, commixtures of heavenly and earthly thoughts. You are therefore requested to fancy him cast by fortune into the company of some yet unknown shepherds, and you have a liberty to believe twas by this following accident. He in a summer's morning, about that hour when the great eye of heaven first opens itself to give light to us mortals, walking a gentle pace towards a brook, whose spring-head was not far distant from his peaceful habitation, fitted with angle, lines, and flies, flies proper for that season, being the fruitful month of May, winky face, intending all diligence to beguile the timorous trout, with which that watery element abounded, observed a more than common concourse of shepherds, all bending there. Unwearied steps towards a pleasant meadow within his present prospect, and had his eyes made more happy to behold the two fair shepherdesses Amaryllis and Aminta strewing the footpaths with lilies, and ladies' mucks, so newly gathered by their fair hands, that they yet smelt more sweet than the morning, and immediately met, attended with Clora Clorinda, and many other wood nymphs, the fair and virtuous Parthenia, who after a courteous salutation and inquiry of his intended journey, told him. The neighbor shepherds of that part of Arcadia had dedicated that day to be kept wholly to the honor of their great god Pan, and that they had designed her mistress of a love feast, which was to be kept that present day, in an arbor built that morning for that purpose. She told him also that Orpheus would be there, and bring his harp, Pan his pipe, and Titerus his Odin reed, to make music at this feast. She therefore persuaded him not to lose, but change that day's pleasure, before. He could return and answer they were unawares entrade into a living moving lane, made of shepherd and pilgrims, who had that morning measured many miles to be eyewitnesses of that day's pleasure. This lane led them into a large arbor, whose walls were made of the yielding willow, and smooth beech boughs, and covered over with sycamore leaves, and honeysuckles. I might now tell in what manner, after her first entrance into this arbor, Philoclea, Philoclea the fair Arcadian shepherdess, crowned her temples with a garland, 
with what flowers, and by whom twas made. I might tell what guests, besides Astria and Adonis, were at this feast, and who, beside Mercury, waited at the table, this I might tell, but may not, cannot express what music the gods and wood nymphs made within. And the linnets, larks, and nightingales about this arbor, during this holy day, which began in harmless mirth, and for Bacchus and his gang were absent, ended in love and peace, which Pan, for he only can do it, continue in Arcadia, and restore to the disturbed island of Britannia, and grant that each honest shepherd may again sit under his own vine and fig tree, and feed his own flock, and with love enjoy the fruits of peace, and be more thankful. Reader, at this time and place, the author contracted a friendship with certain single-hearted shepherds, with whom, as he returned from his river recreations, he often rested himself, and whilst in the calm evening their flocks fed about them, heard that discourse, which, with the shepherds' names, is presented in these eglogs. 23 Novum. 1645. Couplet on Dr. Richard Sibbies. 1650. Written by Isaac Walton in his copy of Dr. Richard Sibbies's work, The Returning Backslider, for feet ten inches. 1650. Preserved in the Cathedral Library, Salisbury. See Sir Harris Nicholas' Memoir of Walton, CLD. Of this blessed man let this just praise be given, heaven was in him, before he was in heaven. Isaac Walton. Dedication of Reliqui Wadaniani. 1651. Reliqui Wadaniani, or, A Collection of Lives, Letters, Poems, with Characters of Sundry Personages, and Other Incomparable Pieces of Language and Art. By the Curious Pencil of the Ever-Memorable Senior Henry Watton, K.T., Late, Provost of Eton College. London, printed by Thomas Maxey for R. Marriott, G. Bedell, and T. Garthwaite. 1651. To the Right Honorable the Lady Mary Watton Baroness, and to her three noble daughters. Catherine Stanhop. The Lady Margaret Tufton. And Hales. Since books see me by custom to challenge a dedication, justice would not allow that what either was, or concerned Sir Henry Wotton, should be appropriated to any other persons, not only for that nearness of aliens and blood, by which you may challenge a civil right to what was his winky face, but by a title of that entireness of affection, which was in you to each other, when Sir Henry Wotton had a being upon earth. And since yours was a friendship made up of generous principles, as I cannot doubt but these endeavors to preserve his memory will be acceptable to all that loved him, so especially to you, from whom I have had such encouragements as hath emboldened me to this dedication, which you are most humbly entreated may be accepted from. Your very real servant I, W. On the death of William Cartwright. 1651. Comedies, Tragy Comedies, with other poems by Mr. William Cartwright, late student of Christ Church in Oxford, and proctor of the university. London, printed for Humphrey Mosley, and are to be sold at his shop, at the sign of the Prince's Arms in S.T. Paul's Churchyard, 1651. On the death of my dear friend Mr. William Cartwright, relating to the foregoing elegies. I cannot keep my purpose, but must give sorrow and verse their way, nor will I grieve longer in silence. No, that poor, poor part of nature's legacy, verse void of art, and undissembled tears, Cartwright shall have fixed on his hearse, and wept into his grave. Muses I need you not, 
for, grief and I can in your absence weave an elegy, which we will do, and often interweave sad looks, and sighs, the groundwork must receive such characters, or be adjudged unfit for my friend's shroud, others have shewed their wit, learning, and language fitly, for these be debts due to his great merits, but for me, my aims are like myself, humble and low, too mean to speak his praise, too mean to show the world what it hath lost in losing thee, whose words and deeds were perfect harmony. But now tis lost, lost in the silent grave, lost to us mortals, lost, till we shall have admission to that kingdom, where he sings harmonious anthems to the king of kings. Sing on blessed soul, be as thou wast below, a more than common instrument to show thy maker's praise. Sing on, whilst I lament thy loss, and court a holy discontent, with such pure thoughts as thine, to dwell with me, then I may hope to live, and die like thee, to live beloved, die mourned, thus in my grave, blessings that kings have wished, but cannot have, is, wa, preface to Sir John Skeffington's Harrow of Lorenzo, 1652, the Harrow of Lorenzo, or, the way to eminency and perfection, a piece of serious Spanish wit originally in that language written, and in English, by Sir John Skeffington, K.T. and Baronet. London, printed for John Martin and James Alastry at the Bell in S.D. Paul's Churchyard. 1652. Let this be told the reader. That Sir John Skeffington, one of his late majesty's servants, and a stranger to no language of Christendom, did about forty years now past, bring this hero out of Spain into England. There they two kept company together till about twelve months now past, and then, in a retirement of that learned knights, by reason of a sequestration for his master's cause, a friend coming to visit him, they fell accidentally into a discourse of the wit and gallantry of the Spanish nation. That discourse occasioned an example or two to be brought out of this hero, and those examples, with Sir John's choice language and illustration, were so relished by his friend, a stranger to the Spanish tongue, that he became restless till he got a promise from Sir John to translate the whole, which he did in a few weeks, and so long as that employment lasted it proved an excellent diversion from his many sad thoughts. But he hath now chonged that condition, to be posseest of that place into, which sadness is not capable of entrance. And his absence from this world hath occasioned me, who was one of those few that he gave leave to know him, for he was a returned man, to tell the reader that I heard him say, he had not made the English so short, or few words, as the original, because in that, the author had expressed himself so enigmatically, that though he endeavoured to translate it plainly, yet, he thought it was not made comprehensible enough for common readers, therefore he declared to me, that he intended to make it so, by a comment on the margent, which he had begun, but be it spoke with sorrow, he and those thoughts are now buried in the silent grave, one, and myself, with those very many that loved him, left to lament that loss. I.W. Footnotes. 1. Compare the poem on the death of Cartwright Supra. But now tis lost, lost in the silent grave. And see. Commendatory verse to the author of Centillula Alteris. 1652. Centillula Alteris or A Pious Reflection on Primitive Devotion As to the Feasts and Fasts of the Christian Church Orthodox Ally Revived By Edward Spark, B.D. London Printed by T. Maxi for Richard Marriott 
and are to be sold at his shop in S.T. Dunstan's churchyard in Fleet Street, 1652. This book reached a seventh edition during Walton's lifetime, but his commendatory verses are only to be found in the first. To the author upon the sight of the first sheet of his book, My worthy friend, I am much pleased to know you have begun to pay the debt you owe by promise to so many pious friends in printing your choice poems. It commends both them, and you, that they have been desert by persons of such judgment, and admired they must be most, by those that best shall know what praise to holy poetry we owe. So shall your disquisitions too, for, their choice learning, and blessed piety, appear. All useful to poor Christians, where they may learn primitive devotion. Each saint's day stands as a landmark in an erring age to guide friely mortals in their pilgrimage to the coelestial canon, and each fast is both the soul's direction and repast, also expressed, that I am glad to know you have begun to pay the debt you owe. Is. Wa. Dedication of the Life of Don, an advertisement to the reader. 1658. The Life of John Don, Doctor in Divinity, and Late Dean of St. Paul's Church, London. The Second Impression Corrected and Enlarged. Eccles.48.14. He did wonders in his life, and at his death his works were marvelous. London, printed by J. G. Farrar, Marriott, and are to be sold at his shop under S. Dunstan's Church in Fleet Street. 1658. To my noble and honored friend Sir Robert Holt of Afton, in the county of Warwick, Baronet. Sir, when this relation of the life of Dr. Dom was first made public, it had besides the approbation of our late learned and eloquent king, a conjunction with the author's most excellent sermons to support it, and thus it lay some time fortified against prejudice, and those passions that are by bussy and malicious men too freely vented against the dead. And yet, now, after almost twenty years, when though the memory of Dr. Don himself must not, cannot die, so long as men speak English, yet when I thought time had made this relation of him so like myself, as to become useless to the world, and content to be forgotten, I find that a retreat into a deferred privacy will not be afforded, for the printers will again expose it and me to public exceptions. And without those supports, which we first had and needed, and in an age too in which truth and innocence have not been able to defend themselves from worse than severe censures. This I foresaw, and nature teaching me self-preservation, and my long experience of your abilities assuring me that in you it may and found frowny face one to you, sir, do I make mine address for an umbrage and protection, and I make it with so much humble boldness, as to say twere degenerous in you not to afford it. For, sir, Dr. Don was so much a part of yourself, as to be incorporated into your family, by so noble a friendship, that I may say there was a marriage of fowls betwixt him and your, too, reverend grandfather, who in his life was an angel of our once glorious church, and now no common star in heaven. And Dr. Don's love died not with him, but was doubled upon his heir, your beloved uncle the bishop of, three, Chichester, that lives in this forward generation, to be an ornament to his calling. And this affection to him was by Dr. D., so testified in his life, that he then trusted him with the very secrets of his soul, and at his death, with what was dearest to him, even his fame, estate, and children. And you have yet a further title to what was Dr. Don's, by that dear affection and friendship that was betwixt him and your parents, by which he entailed a love upon yourself, 
even in your infancy, which was increased by the early testimonies of your growing merits, and by them continued, till d. Don put on immortality, and so this mortal was turned into a love that cannot die. And sir, t'was pity he was lost to you in your minority, before you had attained a judgment to put a true value upon the living beauties and elegancies of his conversation, and pity too, that so much of them as were capable of such an expression, were not drawn by the pencil of a Titian or a Tenterit, by a penequal and more lasting than their art, for his life ought to be the example of more than that age in which he died. And yet this copy, though very much, indeed too much short of the original, will present you with some features not unlike your dead friend, and with fewer blemishes and more ornaments than when t'was first made public, which creates a contentment to myself, because it is the more worthy of him, and because I may with more civility entitle you to it. And in this design of doing so, I have not a thought of what is pretended in most dedications, a commutation for courtesies. No indeed, sir, I put no such value upon this trifle, for your owning it will rather increase my obligations. But my desire is, that into whose hands soever this shall fall, it may to them be a testimony of my gratitude to yourself and family, who descended to such a degree of humility as to admit me into their friendship in the days of my youth, and notwithstanding my many infirmities, have continued me in it till I am become grey-headed, and as time has added to my years, have still increased and multiplied their favors. This, sir, is the intent of this dedication, and having made the declaration of it thus public, I shall conclude it with commending them, and you to God's dear love. I remain, sir, what your many merits have made me to be, the humblest of your servants, Isaac Walton. To the reader. My desire is to inform and assure you, that shall become my reader, that in that part of this following discourse, which is only narration, I either speak my own knowledge, or from the testimony of such as dare do anything, rather than speak an untruth. And for that part of it which is my own observation or opinion, if I had a power I would not use it to force any man's assent, but leave him a liberty to disbelieve what his own reason inclines him to. Next, I am to inform you, that whereas Dr. Down's life was formerly printed with his sermons, and then had the same preface or introduction to it, I have not omitted it now, because I have no such confidence in what I have done, as to appear without an apology for my undertaking it. I have said all when I have wished happiness to my reader. I.W. Footnotes. 1. Sick. Probably a misprint for. Be found. Ed. 2. John King B. Of London. 3. Hen. King now B.C. Damon and Doruz. And humble Eglog. May 29, 1660. Songs and Other Poems. By Alex. Brome Gent. London. Printed for Henry Brome, at the Gun in Ivy Lane, 1661. The second edition corrected and enlarged, 1664. The third edition enlarged. London, printed for Henry Brome, at the Star in Little Britain, 1668. To my ingenious friend Mr. Brome, on his various and excellent poems, an humble eglog. Written the 29th of May, 1660. Damon and Doruz. Damon. Hail happy day. Doruz sit down, now let no sigh, nor let a frown lodge near thy heart, or on thy brow. The king. The king s returned. And now let's banish all sad thoughts and sing we have our laws, and have our king. Doruz. 
tis true, and I would sing, but oh, these wars have sunk my heart so low twill not be riced. Damon. What not this day? Why tis the twenty-ninth of May, let rebel spirits sink, let those that like the Goths and Vandals rose to ruin families, and bring contempt upon our church, our king, and all that's dear to us, be sad. But be not thou, let us be glad. And, Doruz, to invite thee, look, here's a collection in this book, of all those cheerful songs, that we have sung so oft and merrily, one. As we have marched to fight the cause of God's anointed, and our laws such songs as make not the least odies betwixt us mortals and the gods, such songs as virgins need not fear to sing, or a grave matron hear. Here's love dreus neat, and chaste, and gay as gardens in the month of May. Here's harmony, and wit, and art, to raise thy thoughts, and cheer thy heart. Doruz. Written by whom? Damon. A friend of mine, and one that's worthy to be thine, a civil swain, that knows his times for business, and that done makes rhymes, but not till then. My friend's a man loved by the muses, dear to Pan, he blessed him with a cheerful heart, and they with this sharp wit and art, which he so tempers, as no swain, that's loyal, does or mold complain. Doruz. I wowed fain see him. Damon. Go with me, Doruz, to yonder broad beech tree, there we shall meet him and Phyllis, Perigot, and Amaryllis, Titterus, and his dear Clora, Tom and Will, and their pastora, there we all dance, shake hands and sing, we have our laws, God bless the king. Is. Walton. Footnotes. 1. Have some with mirth and Mary Gilly, 1661. To my reverend friend the author of the synagogue. 1661. The synagogue, or the shadow of the temple. Sacred poems and private ejaculations. In imitation of Mr. George Herbert. The fourth edition corrected and enlarged. London, printed for Philemon Stevens, at the Gilded Lion in S.T. Paul's Churchyard, 1661. Page 67. To my reverend friend the author of the synagogue. Sir, I loved you for your synagogue, before I knew your person, but now love you more, because I find it is so true a picture of your mind, which tunes your sacred lyre to that eternal choir, where holy Herbert fits, O shame to profane wits, and sings his and your anthems, to the praise of him that is the first and last of days. These holy hymns had an ethereal birth, for they can raise sad souls above the earth and fix them there free from the world's anxieties and fear. Herbert, and you have power to do this, every hour I read you kills a sin, or lets a virtue in to fight against it, and the Holy Ghost supports my frailties, lest the day be lost. This holy war, taught by your happy pen, the Prince of Peace approves. When we poor men neglect our arms, W are circumvested with a world of harms. But I will watch, and ward, and stand upon my guard, and still consult with you, and Herbert, and renew my vows and say, well fare his, and your heart, the fountains of such sacred wit and art, is, wa, epitaph on his second wife, and Ken, 1662, in Worcester Cathedral. The event is thus recorded by Walton in his family prayer book. And Walton died the 17th of April, about one o'clock in that night, and was buried in the Virgin Mary's Chapel, in the cathedral in Worcester, the 20th day. Ex terris MS here lieth buried so much as could die of an, the wife of Isaac Walton, 
who was a woman of remarkable prudence, and of the primitive piety, her great and general knowledge being adorned with such true humility, and blessed with so much Christian meekness, as made her worthy of a more memorable monument. She died. Alas, that she is dead, the 17th of April, 1662, aged 52. Study to be like her. Letter to Edward Ward. 1670. Preserved among the Mrs. in the Library of Trinity College, Dublin. First printed in. Notes and Queries. May 17, 1856. For my worthy friend Mr. Edward Ward, A.T.T. Rodan Temple, near unto Leicester. A.T.T. Mr. Babington's A.T.T. Rodan Temple. S.R. I came well from Winton to London, about three weeks past. At that time I left Duar Hawkins well, and my dafter, after agreed danger of childbirth, not very well, but by a late letter from him, I hear they be both in good health. The doctor did tell me a gown and some books of YRS were in danger to be lost, though he had made, at a distance, many inquiries after them, and entreated others to do so too, but yet ineffectually. He therefore entreated me to undertake a search, and I have done it so successfully that upon Thursday the twenty-fourth instant they were d.d. to that letter-carrier that ends at the Rose in Smithfield, and with them the life of M.R. George Herbert, and three others, wrapped up in a paper and directed to you at Rodan Temple, the book not tied to the bundle, but of itself. The bundle cost me threes. 8d. Carriage to London, and I hope it will now come safe to your hands. What I have to write more is my hereby wishes for wire happiness, for I am wire affect. Friend and seruent, Isaac Walton. Newar 26, 1670. If you incline to write to me, direct your letter to be left at M.R. Grinsels, a grocer in King's Strite in Westminster. Much good do you with the book, W.C.H. I wish better. Dedication of the third edition of Reliqui Wadaniani. 1672. Reliqui Wadaniani, or a collection of lives, letters, poems, with characters of sundry personages, and other incomparable pieces of language and art. Also additional letters to several persons, not before printed. By the curious pencil of the ever-memorable Sir Henry Wotton, Kate, late provost of Eton College. The third edition, with large editions. London, printed by T. Roycroft, Frar, Marriott, F. Titon, T. Collins and J. Ford, 1672. To the Right Honorable Philip Earl of Chesterfield, Lord Stanhope of Shelford. My Lord, I have conceived many reasons why I ought in justice to dedicate these relics of your great uncle, Sir Henry Wotton, to your lordship, some of which are that both your grandmother and mother had a double right to them by a dedication when first made public, as also, for their assisting me then, and since, with many material informations for the writing his life, and for giving me many of the letters that have fallen from his curious pen, so that they being now dead, these relics descend. To you, as heir to them, and the inheritor of the memorable Bakhtin Palace, the place of his birth, where so many of the ancient, and prudent, and valiant family of the Wadden's lie now buried, whose remarkable monuments you have lately beautified, and to them added so many of so great worth, as hath made it appear, that at the erecting and adorning them, you were above the thought of charge, that they might, if possible. For twas no easy undertaking, hold some proportion with the merits of your ancestors. 
my lord, these are a part of many more reasons that have inclined me to this dedication, and these, with the example of a liberty that is not given, but now too usually taken by many scribblers, to make trifling dedications, might have begot a boldness in some men of as mean as my mean abilities to have undertaken this. But indeed, my lord, though I was ambitious enough of undertaking it, yet, as Sir Henry Wotton hath said in a piece of his own character, that he was condemned by nature to a bashfulness in making requests, so I find myself, pardon the parallel, so like him in this, that if I had not had more reasons than I have yet expressed, these alone had not been powerful enough to have created a confidence in me to have attempted it. Two of my unexpressed reasons are, give me leave to tell them to your lordship and the world, that Sir Henry Wotton, whose many merits made him an ornament even to your family, was yet so humble, as to acknowledge me to be his friend, and died in a belief that I was so, since which time, I have made him the best return of my gratitude for his condescension, that I have been able to express, or he capable of receiving, and am pleased with myself for so doing. My other reason of this boldness is an encouragement, very like a command, from your worthy cousin and my friend, Mr. Charles Cotton, who hath assured me that you are such a lover of the memory of your generous uncle, Sir Henry Wotton, that if there were no other reason than my endeavors to preserve it, yet, that that alone would secure this dedication from being unacceptable. I wish that nor he nor I be mistaken, and that I were able to make you a more worthy present. My lord, I am and will be your humble and most affectionate servant, Isaac Walton. February 27th, 1672. Letter to Marriott. 1673. The original is preserved in Corpus Christi College, Oxford, and was printed for the first time in Sir Harris Nicholas' Life of Walton, Pickering, 1837-79-80. M.R. Marriott. I have received Bentivoglio, and in it M.R. Hers. Life. I thank you for both. I have since I saw you received from M.R. Milington so much of M.R. Hails his life as M.R. Farringdon had writ, and have made many inquiries concerning him of many that knew him, namely of M.R.S. Pownie of Windsor, at whose house he died, and as I have heard, so have set them down, that my memory might not lose them. M.R. Mounte did at my being in Windsor promise me to summon his memory, and set down what he knew of him. This I desired him to do at his best leisure, and write it down, and he that knew him and all his affairs best of any man is like to do it very well, because I think he will do it affectionately, so that if M.R. Fullman make his queries concerning that part of his life spent in Oxford, he will have many, and good, I mean true informations from M.R. Farringdon, till he came thither, and by me and my means since he came to Eton. This I write that you may inform M.R. Fullman of it, and I pray let him know I will not yet give over my queries, and let him know that I hope to meet him and the Parliament in health and in London in October, and then and there deliver up my collections to him. In the meantime I wish him and you health, and pray let him know it either by your writing to him, or sending him this of mine. God keep us all in his favor, his and your friend to serve you, Isaac Walton. Winchester, August 24, 1673. Preface to Dalma and Clearchus. 1678. Dalma and Clearchus, a pastoral history, in smooth and easy verse. Written long since, by John Chalkhill, Esq., 
an acquaintant and friend of Edmund Spencer. London, printed for Benj. Took at the ship in S. Paul's Churchyard, 1683. The Preface The reader will find in this book, what the title declares, a pastoral history in smooth and easy verse, and will in it find many hopes and fears finely painted, and feelingly expressed. And he will find the first so often disappointed, when fullest of desire and expectation, and the later, so often, so strangely, and so unexpectedly relieved, by an unforeseen providence, as may beget in him wonder and amazement. And the reader will here also meet with passions heightened by easy and fit descriptions of joy and sorrow, and find also such various events and rewards of innocent truth and undissembled honesty, as is like to leave in him, if he be a good-natured reader, more sympathizing and virtuous impressions, than ten times so much time spent in impertinent, critical, and needless disputes about religion. And I heartily wish it may do so. And I have also this truth to say of the author, that he was in his time a man generally known, and as well beloved, for he was humble, and obliging in his behavior, a gentleman, a scholar, very innocent and prudent, and indeed his whole life was useful, quiet, and virtuous. God send the story may meet with, or make all readers like him. I.W., 1 May 7, 1678. Footnotes. 1. The poem of Thelma and Clearchus was left in an unfinished state. It terminates abruptly with the half-line. Thelma lives. Upon which Walton adds, And here the author dewide, and I hope the reader will be sorry. Letter to John Aubrey. 1680. The original is amongst Aubrey's Mises in the Ashmolean Museum. Annexed to it is the following note by Aubrey. This account I received from Mr. Isaac Walton, who wrote Dr. Down's Life and c. Decem. 2. 1680, he being then eighty-seven years of age. This is his own handwriting, I. See Walton's Lives, with notes and the life of the author by Thomas Sook, 3rd edition. York, 1817. Volume 2. Pages 353-356. to 356. For why are friends QE this? I only knew Ben Johnson, but my lord of Winton knew him very well and says he was in the sixth, that is, the uppermost form in Westminster Skull, at which time his father died, and his mother married a bricklayer, who made him, much against his will, help him in his trade. But in a short time, his skullmaster, M.R. Camden, got him a better employment, which was to attend or accompany a son of Sir Walter Raleigh's in his travels. Within a short time after their return, they parted, I think not in Colblaud and with a love suitable to what they had in their travels, not to be commended. And then Ben began to set up for himself in the trade by which he got his subsistence and fame, of which I need not give any account. He got in time to have a one hundred pounds a year from the king, also a pension from the city, and the like from many of the nobility and some of the gentry. W.C.H. was well paid, for love or fear of his railing in verse, or prose, or both. My lord told me, he told him he was, in his long retirement and sickness, when he saw him, which was often, much afflicted, that he had profaned the scripture in his plays, and lamented it with horror, yet that, at that time of his long retirement, his pension, so much as came in, was due to a woman that gurned him, with whom he lewd and died near the abbey in Westminster, and that neither he nor she took too much care for next wake 
and would be sure not to want wine, of WCHE. Usually took too much before he went to bed, if not oftener and soner. My lord tells me, he knows not, but thinks he was born in Westminster. The question may be put to Mr. Wood very easily upon what grounds he is positive as to his being born there. He is a friendly man, and will resolve it. So much for Brow Ben. You will not think the rest so tedious as I do this. For why are two and three key of Mr. Hill, and Bilingsley, I do either know nor can learn anything worth telling you. For why are two remaining key of Mr. Warner, and Mr. Harriet this? Mr. Warner did long and constantly LODG near the water stairs, or market, in Woolstable. Woolstable is a place not far from Charing Cross, and near to Northumberland House. My lord of Winchester tells me he knew him, and that he said he first found out the circulation of the blood, and discovered it to Dr. Harry, who said that twas he himself that found it, for which he is so memorably famous. Warner had a pension of forty L. A year from that Earl of Northumberland that lay so long a prisoner in the Tor, and some allowance from Sir though, Aylesbury, and with whom he usually spent his summer in Windsor Park, and was welcome, for he was harmless and quit. His winter was spent at the Wool Stable, where he died in the time of the Parliament of 1640, of which or whom he was no lower. Mr. Harriet, my lord tells me, he knew also that he was a more Gentile man than Warner that he had one hundred and twenty pounds a year pension from the said Earl, who was a lower of their studies, and his lodgings in Sion House, where he thinks, or believes, he died. This is all I know or can learn for your friend, which I wish may be worth the time and trouble of reading it. I.W. Newar. 2280. Isaac Walton's Will. 1683. August the 9th, 1683. In the name of God, Amen. I, Isaac Walton the Elder of Winchester, being this present day in the ninetieth year of my age and in perfect memory for which praise be God, but considering how so vainly I may be deprived of both doth for make this my last will and testament as followeth. And first I do, declare, my belief to be that there is only one God who hath made the whole world and me and all mankind to whom I shall give an account of all my actions which are not to be justified but I hope pardon for the merits of my Savior Jesus. And because the profession of Christianity does at this time seem to be subdivided into Papist and Protestant, I take it to be at least convenient to declare my belief to be in all points of faith, as the Church of England now professeth. And this I do the rather, because of a very long and very true friendship with some of the Roman Church. And for my worldly estate, which I have neither got by falsehood or flattery or the extreme cruelty of the law of this nation, I do hereby give and bequeath it as followeth. Dot. First I give my son-in-law Dakar, Hawkins and to his wife, to them I give all my title and right of or in a part of a house and mop and paternostero in London, which I hold by lease from the Lord Bishop of London for about fifty years to come and I do also give to them all my right and title of or to a house in Chancery Lane, London, where in MRS. Grainwood now dwelleth, in which is now about sixteen years to come. I give these two leases to them, they saving my executor from all damage concerning the same. And I do also give to my saved after all my books this day at Winchester and Droxford, and whatever else I can call mine there, except a trunk of linen WCH I give my son Isaac Walton, but if he do not marry, 
or use the said linen himself, then I give the same to my granddaughter and Hawkins. And I give to my son Isaac all my right and title to a lease of Norrington Farm, which I hold from the Lord B.P. of Winton. And I do also give him all my right and title to a farm or land near to Stafford, which I bought of M.R. Walter Noel, I say, I give it to him and his here's forever, but upon the condition following. Namely, if my son shall not marry before he shall be of the age of forty and one year, or being married shall die before the said age and leave no son to inherit the said farm or land, or if his son, or sons, shall not live to attain the age of twenty and one year, to dispose other ways of it, then I give the said farm or land to the town or corporation of Stafford, in which I was born, for the good and benefit of some of the said town, as I shall direct and as followeth. But, first note, that it is at this presant time rented for twenty-one li, tens, a year, and is like to hold the said rent, if care be taken to keep a the barn and housing in repair, and I would have and do give ten pound of the said rent, to bind out you really two boys, the sons of honest and poor parents to be apprentices to some tradesmen or handicraftmen, to the intent the said boys, may, the better afterward get their own living dot, and I do also give five pound yearly, out of the said rent to be given to some mead servant, that hath attained the age of twenty and one year, not less, and dwelt long in one service, or to some honest poor man's daughter, that hath attained to that age, to be paid her, at or on the day of her marriage. And this being done, my will is, that what rent shall remain of the said farm or land, shall be disposed of as followeth. First I do give twenty shillings you really, to be spent by the mire of Stafford and those that shall collect the said rent, and dispose of it as I have and shall hereafter direct. And that what money or rent shall remain undisposed of shall be employed to bury coals for some poor people, that shall most nigh them in the said town, the said coals to be delivered the last waka in January, or in every first waka in February. I say then, because I take that time to be the hardest and most pinching times with poor people. And God reward those that shall do this without partiality, and with honesty and a good conscience. And if the Sade Meyer and others of the Sade town of Stafford shall prove so negligent or dishonest as not to employ the rent by me given as intended and expressed in this my will, which God forbid, then I give the Sade rents and profits, of the Sade farm or land, to the town and chief magistrates or governors of Eccles Hall, to be disposed by them in such manner as I have ordered the disposal of it, by the town of Stafford, the said farm or land being near the town of Eccles Hall. And I give to my son-in-law Dr. Hawkins, whom I love as my own son, and to my dafter his wife, and my son Isaac to each of them a ring with these words or motto, Love my memory, I.W.O.B. at equals to the Lord B.P. of Winton a ring with this motto, A mite for a million, I.W.O.B. at equals, and to the friends hereafter named I give to each of them a ring with this motto, A friend's farewell. I.W.O.B. equals and my will is, the said rings be delivered within for tie days of my death, and that the price or value of all the said rings shall be, L3S. 4D. Apace. I give to Dr. Hawkins Dr. Ardon's sermons, which I have heard preached, and read with much content, to my son Isaac I give Doc R. Sibs his soul's conflict and to my daughter his bruised ride, desiring them to read them so, as to be well acquainted with them and I also give to her all my books at Winchester and Droxford, and whatever in those two places are or I can call mine, except a trunk of linen, 
which I gave to my son Isaac. But if he do not live to make use of it, then I give. The same to my grandafter, and Hawkins, and I give my dafter Dakar Hall's works which be now at Farnham. To my son Isaac I give all my books, not yet given, at Farnham Castell and a desk of prints and pictures, also a cabinet near my bed's head, in WCH are some little things that he will value, though of no great worth. And my will and desire is, that he will be kind to his Auntie Beecham and his Aunt Rose Ken, by allowing the first about fifty shilling a year in or for bacon and cheese, not more, and paying for Lee, a year toward the burden of her son's diet to M.R. John Whitehead. For his Auntie Ken, I desire him to be kin to her according to her necessity and his own ability. And I commend one of her children to braid up, as I have said I intend to do, if he shall be able to do it as I know he will, for they be good folky. I give to M.R. John Derbyshire the sermons of M.R. Antony Farringdon, or of Duar Sanderson, which my executor thinks fit to my servant, Thomas Edgehill I give five pound in money, and all my clothes linen and wallen except one suit of clothes, which I give to M.R. Hollenide and Forty Shirling, if the said Thomas be my servant at my death, if not my cloths only. And I give my old friend M.R. Richard Marriott ten pound in money, to be paid him within. Three. Months after my death. And I desire my son to shew kindings to him if he shall nide, and my son can spare it. And I do hereby will and declare my son Isaac to be my sole executor of this my last will and testament, and do our Hawkins, to see that he performs it, which I doubt not but he will. I desire my burial may be near the place of my death, and free from any ostentation or charg, but privately, this I make to be my last will, to which I only add the codicil for rings, the sixteen. Day of August, 1683. Wins to this will. Isaac Walton. The rings I give are as on the other side. To my brother John Ken. To my brother Beecham. To my sister his wife. To my sister his wife. To my brother Dr. Ken. To the lady and how. To my sister Pye. To M.R.S. King Dor Philip's wife. To M.R. Francis Morley. To M.R. Valentine Harcourt. To S.R. George Vernon. To M.R.S. Eliza Johnson. To his wife. To M.R.S. Mary Rogers. To his three dafters to M.R.S. Eliza Millward to M.R.S. Nelson. To M.R.S. Doro. Wallop. To M.R. Rich. Walton. To M.R. Will. Millward of to M.R. Palmer. Christchurch, Oxford. To M.R. Taylor. To M.R. John Darbyshire. To M.R. Though. Garrard. To M.R. Viewdville. To the Lord B.P. of Sarum. To M.R.S. Rock. To M.R. Read his servant. To M.R. Peter White. To my cuz. Dorothy Kenrick. To M.R. John Lloyd. To my cuz. Lewin. To my cuz grain cells to M.R. Walter Higgs. Widow to M.R. Chaw Cotton. 16 M.R.S. Dalbin must not to M.R. Rich. Marriott. Be forgotten. 22. Note that several lines are blotted, out of this will for they are twice, repeated, and that this will is now, 
Isaac Walton signed and sealed, this twenty and fourth day of October 1683 in the presence of us. Wynne Sabra, Markland, Joss Taylor, Thomas Crawley. Inedited remains in verse and prose of Isaac Walton, author of The Complete Angler with Notes and Preface B. Richard Hearn Shepherd, London 1878. Preface. Few men who have written books have been able to win so large a share of the personal affection of their readers as honest Isaac Walton has done, and few books are laid down with so genuine a feeling of regret as the complete angler, certainly is, that they are no longer. One of the gentlest and tenderest spirits of the seventeenth century. We all know his dear old face, with its cheerful, happy, serene look and we should all have liked to accompany him on one of those angling excursions from Tottenham High Cross, and to have listened to the quaint, garrulous, sportive talk, the outcome of a religion which was like his homely garb, not too good for every day where we see him, now diligent in his business, now commemorating the virtues of that cluster of scholars and churchmen with whose friendship he was favored in youth, and teaching his young brother-in-law, Thomas Ken, to walk in their saintly footsteps now busy with his rod and line, or walking and talking with a friend, staying now and then to quaff an honest glass at a wayside alehouse, leading a simple, cheerful, blameless life. Through near a century of pleasant years. 1. We have said that the reader regrets that Walton should have left so little behind him, his, angler, and his lives are all that is known to most. But we are now enabled to present those who love his memory with a collection of fugitive pieces in verse and prose, extending in date of composition over a period of fifty years, beginning with the Elegy on Don, in 1633, and terminating only with his death in 1683. All these, however unambitious, are more or less characteristic of the man, and impregnated with the same spirit of genial piety that distinguishes the two well-known books to which they form a supplement. Walton's devotion to literature must have begun at an early age, for in a little poem, entitled The Love of Amos and Laura, published in 1619, when he was only twenty-six, and attributed variously to Samuel Purchase, author of The Pilgrims, and to Samuel Page, we find the following dedication to him. To my approved and much respected friend is, Wa, to thee, thou more than thrice beloved friend, I too unworthy of so great a bliss, these harsh dumb lines I here to thee commend. Thou being cause it is now as it is, for hadst thou held thy tongue, by silence might these have been buried in oblivious night. If they were pleasing, I would call them thine, and dissolve my title to the verse, but being bad, I needs must call them mine. No ill thing can be clothed in thy verse. Accept them then, and where I have offended, raise thou it out, and let it be amended. S.B. 2. What poems Walton wrote in his youth we have now no means of knowing. It has not been discovered that any have been printed, unless we adopt the theory advocated by Mr. Singer, 3, and by a writer in the Retrospective Review, 4, that the poem of Doma and Clearchus, which he published in the last year of his life, as a posthumous fragment of his relation John Chalkhill, was really a juvenile work of his own. Some plausibility is lent to this notion by the fact that Walton speaks of the author with so much reticence and reserve in his preface to the volume, and also that in introducing two of Chalkhill's songs into the complete angler, he does not bestow on them the customary words of commendation. 
This theory has been rebutted by others, who assert that Walton was of too truthful and guileless a nature to resort to such an artifice. We confess that we are unable to see anything dishonest in the adoption, as a pseudonym, of the name of a deceased friend, or anything more than Walton appears to have done on another occasion when he published his two letters on Love and Truth. It is certain, however, that a family of Chalkhills existed, with whom Walton was closely connected by his marriage with the sister of Bishop Ken. But that an acquaintant and friend of Edmund Spencer, capable of writing such a poem as Dalma and Clearchus, should have kept his talents so concealed, that in an age of commendatory verses no slightest contemporary record of him exists, is, to say the least, extraordinary. There are cogent arguments then on both sides of the question, and there is very little positive proof on either, so we must be content to leave the matter in some doubt and obscurity. The first production to which our author attached the well-known signature of is Wa was an elegy on the death of Dr. Don, the dean of S.T. Paul's, prefixed to a collection of Don's poems. Walton was then forty years of age. From this time forward we find him more or less engaged, and not very long intervals, on literary labors, till the very year of his death. The care which Walton spent on his production seems to have been very great. He wrote and rewrote, corrected, amended, rescinded, and added. This very poem, The Elegy on Don, he completely remodeled in his old age, when he inserted it in the collection of his lives. But we have thought it well to give the original version here as a literary curiosity, and the first work of his that has come down to us. The original lives themselves, especially those of Watton and Don, were mere sketches of what they are in their present enlarged form. Walton had the good fortune to be thrown very early in life into the society and intimacy of men who were his superiors in rank and education. But he had enough of culture, joined to his inherent reverence of mind, to appreciate and understand all that they had and he wanted. The preface to Sir John Skeffington's Harrow of Lorenzo had for two centuries lain forgotten, and escaped the notice of Walton's biographers, till in 1852 it was discovered by Dr. Bliss of Oxford, and communicated by him to the late William Pickering. The original Spanish work was first published in 1630. The author's real name was not Lorenzo, but Balthasar Gratian, a Jesuit of Aragon, who flourished during the first half of the 17th century, when the cultivated style took possession of Spanish prose, and rose to its greatest consideration. 5. It is a collection of short, wise apothems and maxims for the conduct of life, sometimes illustrated by stories of valor, or prowess, or magnanimity. Of the old Castilian heroes who figure in Count Lucaner, the book, though now no longer read, must have been very popular at one time, for there exist two or three later English versions of it, without, however, the nervous concentration of style and idiomatic diction that characterized the translation sent forth to the world under Walton's auspices. The two letters published in 1680 under the title of Love and Truth, 6, were written respectively in the years 1668 and 1679. The evidence of their authorship is twofold, and we think quite conclusive. In one of the very few copies known to exist, and now in the library of Emmanuel College, Cambridge, its original possessor, Archbishop Sancroft, has written, is, Walton's two letters conchi distemps of ye times, 1680, and Dr. Zook appended to his reprint of the tract, 7, 
a number of parallel passages from other acknowledged writings of Walton, of themselves almost sufficient to fix the question on internal evidence alone. In the British Museum copy of this tract is the following note on one of the fly-leaves in the autograph of the late William Pickering. The present is the only copy I have met with after twenty years' search, excepting the one in Emmanuel College, Cambridge. W. Pickering. The copy described above, i.e., the Emmanuel College copy, appears to be the same edition as the present, that now in the British Museum, but has the following variation. After the title page is printed. The author to the stationer. Mr. Brougham. And C. And the epistle ends with. Your friend. Without the NN which is found in this copy. But what is more remarkable, the printed word author is run through, and corrected with a pen, and over it written publisher, which is evidently in the handwriting of Walton. So Mr. Pickering further certifies. The following allusion towards the bottom of page 37 confirms the idea of Walton's authorship. Speaking of Hugh Peters and John Lilbourne, the writer says, Their turbulent lives and uncomfortable deaths are not I hope yet worn out of the memory of many. He that compares them with the holy life and happy death of Mr. George Herbert, as it is plainly and I hope truly writ by Mr. Isaac Walton, may in it find a perfect pattern for an humble and devout Christian to imitate. And see. The following are the chief parallel passages in this pamphlet, and in Walton's other writings, as indicated by Zook. Second letter, page 19. Life of George Herbert. I wish as heartily as you Mr. George Herbert having do that all such clergymen's changed his sword and wives as have silk clothes silk clothes into a canonical bedaubed with lace, and coat, thus worn misses. Herbert their heads hanged about against this egregious folly with painted ribbons, were of striving for precedency, enjoin ed penance for their. You are now a minister's pride, and their husband's wife, and must now so far forget punished for being so tame, or your father's house, as not so. Lovingly simple, as to suffer to claim a precedence of any them, for, by such clothes, of your parishioners. And see, they proclaim their own ambition, and their husband's folly. And I say the like, concerning their striving for precedency. Page 20. Life of George Herbert. And I confess also, what one cure for the wickedness you say of a clergyman's of the times would be, bidding to fast on the eaves of for the clergy themselves holy days, in Lent, and that to keep the emberweeks emberweeks, and I wish strictly, and see, those biddings were forborn, or better practiced by themselves. Page 20. Life of George Herbert. And I wish as heartily as those ministers that huddled you can, that they would not up the church prayers only read, but pray, though without a visible reverence common prayer, and not in affection, namely, such huddle it up so fast, as to as semed to say the Lord's many do, by getting into a prayer or collect in a breath. Middle of a second collect, before a devout hearer can say amen to the first. Underscore preface to Sanderson's 21 page 20. Sermons 1655. Underscore. And now, having unbowled but since I had thus adventured my very soul thus to unbowel myself, freely to you, and see, and to lay open the very inmost thoughts of my heart. Page 21. Life of Sanderton. A corrosive, or, as Solomon riches so gotten, and added says of ill-gotten riches, to his great estate, would like gravel in his teeth. Prove like gravel in his teeth. Page 21. Life of Sir H. Watton. 
those bishops and martyrs it was the advice of Sir that assisted in this reformation, Henry Wotton. Take heed did not, as Sir Henry Wotton of thinking the farther you go said wisely, think the farther from the Church of Rome, they went from the Church of Rome, the nearer you are to God, the nearer they got to heaven. Page 23. Life of Richard Hooker. To make the women, the here the very women and shopkeepers, and the middle shopkeepers were able to judge witted people, less of predestination, and determined bussy, and more humble, and what laws were fit to lowly in their own eyes, and be obeyed or abolished. To think that they are either called, nor are fit to meddle with, and judge of the most hidden and mysterious points in divinity, and government of the church and state. Page 36. Life of Sanderson. I desire you to look back some years before the unhappy with me to the beginning of Long Parliament, this the late Long Parliament nation being then happy in 1640, at which time we in peace, were the quietest and happiest people in the Christian world. To the present editor the collection and annotation of these remains has been a most welcome labor of love. Some of his oldest and most cherished memories connect themselves with the author of the Complete Angler. That book was one of the first that he ever read with real and genuine delight, and even before reading days commenced, in the earliest dawn of memory, the place where Walton had cut his familiar signature of, is, Wa, on Chaucer's tomb in Westminster Abbey, was pointed out to him often by a kindred spirit now here no more. The name of Walton will also be found enshrined in the earliest prose production, 8, to which the editor prefixed his own name, R.H.S. Footnotes. 1. Happy old man, who's worth all mankind knows except himself, who charitably shows the ready road to virtue, and to praise, the road to many long and happy days, the noble arts of generous piety, and how to compass true felicity. He knows no anxious cares, through near a century of pleasant years, easy he lives and cheerful shall he die, well spoken of by late posterity. June 5, 1683. Flatman's commendatory verses prefixed to Dalma and Clearchus Poems and Songs by Thomas Flatman, 3rd edition 2. The Love of Amos and Laura Written by S.B. London Printed for Richard Hawkins, dwelling in Chancery Lane, near Syrianson, 1619 Printed at the end of a volume entitled Alcilia, Philoparthen's Lewing Folly and C, which, from its being signed at the end with the initials J.C has been attributed to Walton's friend, John Chalkhill, whose posthumous poem, Dolma and Clearchus, he published in the last year of his life. The lines to Walton do not appear in the earlier quarto edition of the book issued by the same publisher in 1613, or in the later quarto of 1628. 3. Dolma and Clearchus, a pastoral romance, by John Chalkhill. First published by Isaac Walton, 1683. A new edition. Revised and corrected by S. W. Singer. Chiswick, 1820. 4. Volume 4. 1821. Pages 230 to 249. 5. Ticknor's History of Spanish Literature, London. 1849. Volume 3. Page 177. 6. Love and Truth Slash and Slash Too Modest and Peaceable Slash Letters Slash Concerning Slash The Distempers of the Present Times. Slash written slash from a quiet and conformable citizen of slash London, to two bussy and factious slash shopkeepers in Coventry, slash. One pet. Four, 
15. But let none of you suffer as a busybody in other men's slash matters. Slash. London, slash printed by S.C. for Henry Brougham at the Guns slash in S.T. Paul's Churchyard. 1680. Collation 4-2. Pages 4. With title, 40, Siga 1 and 2, B.T. 4. 7, York, 1795, pages X. 70. 8. The School of Pantagruel, Sunbury, 1862, page 9. An Elegy upon Dr. Don. 1633. Juvenilia, or Certain Paradoxes and Problems, written by I. Don. London, printed by E.P. for Henry Sale, and are to be sold at the Signa of the Tiger's Head, in St. Paul's Churchyard, Anno Dom. 1633, pages 382 to 384. Dot underscore. Poems by J.D. with elegies on the author's death. London. Printed by M.F. for John Marriott, and are to be sold at his shop in S.T. Dunstan's churchyard in Fleet Street, 1635. The text is printed from the revised version of 1635, and the original readings of 1633 are given at the foot of the page. An Elegy Upon Dr. Don Our Don is dead, England should mourn, may say we had a man where language chose to stay and shew her graceful power. 1. I would not praise that and his vast wit, which in these vain days make many proud, but, as they served to unlock that cabinet, his mind, where such a stock of knowledge was reposed, as all lament, or should, this general cause of discontent. And I rejoice I am not so severe, but as I write a line, to weep a tear for his decease, such sad extremities may make such men as I write elegies. And wonder not, for, when a general loss falls on a nation, and they slight the cross, God hath rice prophets to awaken them from stupefaction. Witness my milled pen, not as to upbraid the world, though now it must freely and boldly, for the cause is just. Dull age, oh I would spare thee, but th art worse, thou art not onely dull, but hast the curse of black ingratitude. If not, couldst thou part with miraculous dawn, and make no vow for thee, and thine, successively to pay a sad remembrance to his dying day? Did his youth scatter poetry, wherein was all philosophy? Was every sin, charactered in his satyrs? Made so fully that some have feared their shapes, and kept their souls safer by reading verse? Did he give days past marble monuments, to those, whose praise he would perpetuate? Did he, I fear the dull will doubt these at his twentieth year? But more matered, did his full soul conceive, and in harmonious holy numbers weave a, too, crown of sacred sonnets, fit to adorn a dying martyr's brow, or, to be worn on that blessed head of Mary Magdalene, after she whipped Christ's feet, but not till then? Did he, fit for such penitence as she and he to use, leave us a litany, which all devout men love, and sure, it shall, as times grow better, grow more classical? Did he write hymns for piety, for wit, three, equal to those, great grave prudentious writ? Spake he all languages? Knew he all laws? The grounds and use of physic, but because twas mercenary, waved it? Went to see that blessed place of Christ's nativity? Did he return and preach him? Preach him so as since s. Paul none did, none could? Those no, such as were blessed to hear him, this is truth. 4. Did he confirm thy aged? 5. Convert thy youth? Did he these wonders? And is this dear loss mourned by so few? 
few for so great a cross, but sure the silent are ambitious all to be close mourners at his funeral, if not, in common pity they forbear by repetitions to renew our care, or, knowing, grief conceived, concealed, consumes man irreparably, as poison fumes do waste the brain, make silence a safe way, to enlarge the soul from these walls, mud and clay, materials of this body, to remain with dawn in heaven, where no promiscuous pain lessens the joy we have, for, with him, all are satisfied with joys essential. Dwell on this joy my thoughts, oh, do not call, six, grief back, by thinking of his funeral, forget he loved me, waste not my sad years, which has to David seventy, filled with fears and sorrow for his death, forget his parts, which find a living grave in good men's hearts. And for, my first is daily paid for sin, forget to pay my second sigh for him, forget his powerful preaching, and forget I am his convert. O my frailty! Let my flesh be no more heard, it will obtrude this lethargy. So should my gratitude, my flows, seven, of gratitude should so be broke, which can no more be, than Don's virtues spoke by any but himself, for which cause, I write no encomium, but this elegy, eight which, as a free will offering, I here give fame, and the world, and parting with it grieve I want abilities, fit to set forth a monument, great, as Don's matchless worth, is. Wah. Footnotes. 1. In the edition of 1633, the poem opens thus, Is Don, great Don, deceased? Then England say thou hast lost a man where language chose to stay and shew its graceful power, and see. 2. La Corona. 3. For piety and wit, 1633. 4. As none but he did, or could do? They know, such as were blessed to hear him know, tis truth. 1633. 5. Age in the edition of 1633. 6. My thoughts, dwell on this joy, and do not call, 1633. 7. Vows in the edition of 1633. 8. Write no encomium, but an elegy. Here the poem closed in the edition of 1633. Lines on a portrait of Don in his eighteenth year. 1635. Engraved under William Marshall's portrait of Don. Anno Domini. 1591. Itatis sui 18. Prefixed to the second edition of Don's poems. 1635. On a portrait of Don taken in his eighteenth year. This was for youth, strength, mirth and with that time most count their golden age, but tea was not thine. Thine was thy later years, so much refined from youth's dross, mirth and wit, as thy pure mind thought, like the angels, nothing but the praise of thy Creator in those last, best days. Wins this book, thy emblem, which begins with love, but endies, with sighs and tears for sins, is wa. Commendatory verses prefixed to the merchant's map of commerce. 1638. The merchant's map of commerce, wherein the universal manner and matter of trade is compendiously handled. By Lewis Roberts Merchant. At London, printed by R.O. for Ralph Mabmxxvi. Fall. The second edition, corrected and much enlarged. London Cooksey. Folios. In praise of my friend the author, and his book. To the reader. If thou wouldst be a statesman, and survey kingdoms for information, hey race away made plain, and easy, fitter far for thee than great Ortelius his geography. If thou wouldst be a gentleman, in more than title only, 
This map yields the store of observations, fit for ornament, or use, or to give curious ears content. If thou wouldst be a merchant by this book, for tis a prize worth gold, and do not look daily for such disbursements, no, tis rare, and should be cast up with thy richest ware. Reader, if thou be any, or all three, for these may meet and make a harmony, then praise this author for his useful pains, whose aim is public good, not private gains. Is. Wa. Preface to Quarles's Shepherd Oracles. 1645. The Shepherd's Oracles, delivered in certain eglogs. By Fra Quarles. London, printed by M. F. for John Marriott and Richard Marriott, and are to be sold at their shop in S. Dunstan's Churchyard, Fleet Street, under the dial. 1646. To the reader. Reader, though the author had some years before his lamented death, compassed, reviewed, and corrected these eglogs, yet he left no epistle to the reader, but only a title, and a blanky leaf for that purpose. Whether he meant some allegorical exposition of the shepherds' names, or their eglogs, is doubtful, but tis certain that as they are, they appear a perfect pattern of the author, whose person, and mint, were both lovely, and his conversation such as distilled pleasure, knowledge, and virtue, into his friends and acquaintance. Tis confious, these eglogs are not so wholly divine as many of his published meditations, which speak his affections to be set upon things that are above, and yet even such men have their intermitted howras, and, as their company gives occasion, commixtures of heavenly and earthly thoughts. You are therefore requested to fancy him cast by fortune into the company of some yet unknown shepherds, and you have a liberty to believe twas by this following accident. He in a summer's morning, about that hour when the great eye of heaven first opens itself to give light to us mortals, walking a gentle pace towards a brook, whose spring head was not far distant from his peaceful habitation, fitted with angle, lines, and flies, flies proper for that season, being the fruitful month of May, winky face, intending all diligence to beguile the timorous trout, with which that watery element abounded, observed a more than common concourse of shepherds, all bending there, unwearied steps towards a pleasant meadow within his present prospect, and had his eyes made more happy to behold the two fair shepherdesses Amaryllis and Aminta strewing the footpaths with lilies, and ladies' mocks, so newly gathered by their fair hands, that they yet smelt more sweet than the morning, and immediately met, attended with Clora Clorinda, and many other wood nymphs, the fair and virtuous Parthenia, who after a courteous salutation and inquiry of his intended journey, told him, The neighbor shepherds of that part of Arcadia had dedicated that day to be kept wholly to the honor of their great god Pan, and that they had designed her mistress of a love feast, which was to be kept that present day, in an arbor built that morning for that purpose. She told him also, that Orpheus would be there, and bring his harp, pan his pipe, and titterus his odin reed, to make music at this feast. She therefore persuaded him, not to lose, but change that day's pleasure, before. He could return and answer they were unawares entrade into a living moving lane, made of shepherd and pilgrims, who had that morning measured many miles to be eyewitnesses of that day's pleasure. This lane led them into a large arbor, whose walls were made of the yielding willow, and smooth beech boughs, and covered over with sycamore leaves and honeysuckles. I might now tell in what manner, after her first entrance into this arbor, Philoclea, Philoclea the fair Arcadian shepherdess, crowned her temples with a garland, 
with what flowers, and by whom twas made. I might tell what guests, besides Astria and Adonis, were at this feast, and who, beside Mercury, waited at the table, this I might tell, but may not, cannot express what music the gods and wood nymphs made within, and the linnets, larks, and nightingales about this arbor, during this holy day, which began in harmless mirth, and for Bacchus and his gang were absent, ended in love and peace, which Pan, for he only can do it, continue in Arcadia, and restore to the disturbed island of Britannia, and grant that each honest shepherd may again sit under his own vine and fig tree, and feed his own flock, and with love enjoy the fruits of peace, and be more thankful. Reader, at this time and place, the author contracted a friendship with certain single-hearted shepherds, with whom, as he returned from his river recreations, he often rested himself, and whilst in the calm evening their flocks fed about them, heard that discourse, which, with the shepherds' names, is presented in these eglogs. 23 Novum. 1,645. Couplet on Dr. Richard Sibbies. 1,650. Written by Isaac Walton in his copy of Dr. Richard Sibbies's work, The Returning Backslider, for feet ten inches. 1650. Preserved in the Cathedral Library, Salisbury. See Sir Harris Nicholas Memoir of Walton, CLD. Of this blessed man let this just praise be given. Heaven was in him, before he was in heaven. Isaac Walton. Dedication of Reliqui Wadaniani. 1651. Reliqui Wadaniani, or A Collection of Lives, Letters, Poems, with Characters of Sundry Personages, and Other Incomparable Pieces of Language and Art. By the Curious Pencil of the Ever Memorable Senior Henry Watton, K.T., Late, Provost of Eton College. London, printed by Thomas Maxey for R. Marriott, G. Bedell, and T. Garthwaite. 1651. To the Right Honorable the Lady Mary Watton Baroness, and to her three noble daughters. Catherine Stanhope. The Lady Margaret Tufton. And Hales. Since books see me by custom to challenge a dedication, justice would not allow that what either was, or concerned Sir Henry Watton, should be appropriated to any other persons, not only for that nearness of aliens and blood, by which you may challenge a civil right to what was his winky face, but by a title of that entireness of affection, which was in you to each other, when Sir Henry Watton had a being upon earth. And since yours was a friendship made up of generous principles, as I cannot doubt but these endeavors to preserve his memory will be acceptable to all that loved him, so especially to you, from whom I have had such encouragements as hath emboldened me to this dedication, which you are most humbly entreated may be accepted from. Your very real servant I, W. On the death of William Cartwright. 1651. Comedies, Tragy Comedies, with other poems by Mr. William Cartwright, late student of Christ Church in Oxford, and proctor of the university. London, printed for Humphrey Mosley, and are to be sold at his shop, at the sign of the Prince's Arms in S.T. Paul's Churchyard, 1651. On the death of my dear friend Mr. William Cartwright, relating to the foregoing elegies. I cannot keep my purpose, but must give sorrow and verse their way, nor will I grieve longer in silence. No, that poor, poor part of nature's legacy, verse void of art, and undissembled tears, Cartwright shall have fixed on his hearse, and wept into his grave. Muses I need you not, 
for, grief and I can in your absence weave an elegy, which we will do, and often interweave sad looks, and sighs, the groundwork must receive such characters, or be adjudged unfit for my friend's shroud, others have shewed their wit, learning, and language fitly, for these be debts due to his great merits, but for me, my aims are like myself, humble and low, too mean to speak his praise, too mean to show the world what it hath lost in losing thee, whose words and deeds were perfect harmony. But now tis lost, lost in the silent grave, lost to us mortals, lost, till we shall have admission to that kingdom, where he sings harmonious anthems to the king of kings. Sing on, blessed soul, be as thou wast below, a more than common instrument to show thy maker's praise. Sing on, whilst I lament thy loss, and court a holy discontent, with such pure thoughts as thine, to dwell with me, then I may hope to live, and die like thee, to live beloved, die mourned, thus in my grave, blessings that kings have wished, but cannot have, is, wa, preface to Sir John Skeffington's Harrow of Lorenzo, 1652, the Harrow of Lorenzo, or, the way to eminency and perfection, a piece of serious Spanish wit originally in that language written, and in English, by Sir John Skeffington, K.T. and Baronet. London, printed for John Martin and James Alastry at the Bell in S.D. Paul's Churchyard. 1652. Let this be told the reader. That Sir John Skeffington, one of his late majesty's servants, and a stranger to no language of Christendom, did about forty years now past, bring this hero out of Spain into England. There they two kept company together till about twelve months now passed, and then, in a retirement of that learned knights, by reason of a sequestration for his master's cause, a friend coming to visit him, they fell accidentally into a discourse of the wit and gallantry of the Spanish nation. That discourse occasioned an example or two to be brought out of this hero, and those examples, with Sir John's choice language and illustration, were so relished by his friend, a stranger to the Spanish tongue, that he became restless till he got a promise from Sir John to translate the whole, which he did in a few weeks, and so long as that employment lasted it proved an excellent diversion from his many sad thoughts. But he hath now chonged that condition, to be posseous of that place into, which sadness is not capable of entrance. And his absence from this world hath occasioned me, who was one of those few that he gave leave to know him, for he was a returned man, to tell the reader that I heard him say, he had not made the English so short, or few words, as the original, because in that, the author had expressed himself so enigmatically, that though he devoured to translate it plainly, yet, he thought it was not made comprehensible enough for common readers, therefore he declared to me, that he intended to make it so, by a comment on the margent, which he had begun, but be it spoke with sorrow, he and those thoughts are now buried in the silent grave, one, and myself, with those very many that loved him, left to lament that loss. I.W. Footnotes. 1. Compare the poem on the death of Cartwright, Supra. But now tis lost, lost in the silent grave. N.C. Commendatory verse to the author of Centillula Alteris. 1652. Centillula Alteris, or a pious reflection on primitive devotion, as to the feasts and fasts of the Christian Church, Orthodox Ally Revived. By Edward Spark, B.D. London. Printed by T. Maxi for Richard Marriott, 
and are to be sold at his shop in S.T. Dunstan's churchyard in Fleet Street, 1652. This book reached a seventh edition during Walton's lifetime, but his commendatory verses are only to be found in the first. To the author upon the sight of the first sheet of his book, My worthy friend, I am much pleased to know you have begun to pay the debt you owe by promise to so many pious friends in printing your choice poems. It commends both them, and you, that they have been desert by persons of such judgment, and admired they must be most, by those that best shall know what praise to holy poetry we owe. So shall your disquisitions too, for, their choice learning, and blessed piety, appear. All useful to poor Christians, where they may learn primitive devotion. Each saint's day stands as a landmark in an erring age to guide friely mortals in their pilgrimage to the coelestial canon, and each fast, is both the soul's direction and repast, also expressed, that I am glad to know you have begun to pay the debt you owe. Is. Wa. Dedication of the Life of Don, an advertisement to the reader. 1658. The Life of John Don, Doctor in Divinity, and Late Dean of St. Paul's Church, London. The Second Impression Corrected and Enlarged. Eccles.48.14. He did wonders in his life, and at his death his works were marvelous. London, printed by J. G. Farrar, Marriott, and are to be sold at his shop under S. Dunstan's Church in Fleet Street. 1658. To my noble and honored friend Sir Robert Holt of Afton, in the county of Warwick, Baronet. Sir, when this relation of the life of Dr. Don was first made public, it had besides the approbation of our late learned and eloquent king, a conjunction with the author's most excellent sermons to support it, and thus it lay some time fortified against prejudice, and those passions that are by bussy and malicious men too freely vented against the dead. And yet, now, after almost twenty years, when though the memory of Dr. Don himself must not, cannot die, so long as men speak English, yet when I thought time had made this relation of him so like myself, as to become useless to the world, and content to be forgotten, I find that a retreat into a defeared privacy will not be afforded, for the printers will again expose it and me to public exceptions. And without those supports, which we first had and needed, and in an age too in which truth and innocence have not been able to defend themselves from worse than severe censures. This I foresaw, and nature teaching me self-preservation, and my long experience of your abilities assuring me that in you it may and found frowny face one to you, sir do I make mine address for an umbrage and protection, and I make it with so much humble boldness, as to say toward degenerous in you not to afford it. For, sir, Dr. Don was so much a part of yourself, as to be incorporated into your family, by so noble a friendship, that I may say there was a marriage of fowls betwixt him and your, too, reverend grandfather, who in his life was an angel of our once glorious church, and now no common star in heaven. And Dr. Don's love died not with him, but was doubled upon his heir, your beloved uncle the bishop of, three, Chichester, that lives in this forward generation, to be an ornament to his calling. And this affection to him was by Dr. D., so testified in his life, that he then trusted him with the very secrets of his soul, and at his death, with what was dearest to him, even his fame, estate, and children. And you have yet a further title to what was Dr. Don's, by that dear affection and friendship that was betwixt him and your parents, by which he entailed a love upon yourself, 
even in your infancy, which was increased by the early testimonies of your growing merits, and by them continued, till d. Don put on immortality, and so this mortal was turned into a love that cannot die. And sir, t'was pity he was lost to you in your minority, before you had attained a judgment to put a true value upon the living beauties and elegancies of his conversation, and pity too, that so much of them as were capable of such an expression, were not drawn by the pencil of a Titian or a Tenterit, by a Penequal and more lasting than their art, for his life ought to be the example of more than that age in which he died. And yet this copy, though very much, indeed too much short of the original, will present you with some features not unlike your dead friend, and with fewer blemishes and more ornaments than when t'was first made public, which creates a contentment to myself, because it is the more worthy of him, and because I may with more civility entitle you to it. And in this design of doing so, I have not a thought of what is pretended in most dedications, a commutation for courtesies. No indeed, sir, I put no such value upon this trifle, for your owning it will rather increase my obligations. But my desire is, that into whose hands soever this shall fall, it may to them be a testimony of my gratitude to yourself and family, who descended to such a degree of humility as to admit me into their friendship in the days of my youth, and notwithstanding my many infirmities, have continued me in it till I am become grey-headed, and as time has added to my years, have still increased and multiplied their favors. This, sir, is the intent of this dedication, and having made the declaration of it thus public, I shall conclude it with commending them, and you to God's dear love. I remain, sir, what your many merits have made me to be, the humblest of your servants, Isaac Walton. To the reader. My desire is to inform and assure you, that shall become my reader, that in that part of this following discourse, which is only narration, I either speak my own knowledge, or from the testimony of such as dare do anything, rather than speak an untruth. And for that part of it which is my own observation or opinion, if I had a power I would not use it to force any man's assent, but leave him a liberty to disbelieve what his own reason inclines him to. Next, I am to inform you, that whereas Dr. Down's life was formerly printed with his sermons, and then had the same preface or introduction to it, I have not omitted it now, because I have no such confidence in what I have done, as to appear without an apology for my undertaking it. I have said all when I have wished happiness to my reader. I.W. Footnotes. 1. Sick. Probably a misprint for. Be found. Ed. 2. John King B. Of London. 3. Hen. King now B.C. Damon and Doruz. An humble eglog. May 29, 1660. Songs and Other Poems. By Alex. Brome Gent. London. Printed for Henry Brome, at the Gun in Ivy Lane, 1661. The second edition corrected and enlarged, 1664. The third edition enlarged. London, printed for Henry Brome, at the Star in Little Britain, 1668. To my ingenious friend Mr. Brome, on his various and excellent poems, an humble eglog. Written the 29th of May, 1660. Damon and Doruz. Damon. Hail happy day. Doru sit down, now let no sigh, nor let a frown lodge near thy heart, or on thy brow. The king. The king s returned. And now let's banish all sad thoughts and sing we have our laws, and have our king. Doru's. 
Tis true, and I would sing, but oh, these wars have sunk my heart so low twill not be riced. Damon. What not this day? Why tis the twenty-ninth of May, let rebel spirits sink, let those that like the Goths and Vandals rose to ruin families, and bring contempt upon our church, our king, and all that's dear to us, be sad. But be not thou, let us be glad. And Doru's, to invite thee, look, here's a collection in this book, of all those cheerful songs, that we have sung so oft and merrily, one. As we have marched to fight the cause of God's anointed, and our laws such songs as make not the least odies betwixt us mortals and the gods, such songs as virgins need not fear to sing, or a grave matron hear. Here's love dreus neat, and chaste, and gay as gardens in the month of May. Here's harmony, and wit, and art, to raise thy thoughts, and cheer thy heart. Doru's. Written by whom? Damon. A friend of mine, and one that's worthy to be thine, a civil swain, that knows his times for business, and that done makes rhymes, but not till then, my friend's a man loved by the muses, dear to Pan, he blessed him with a cheerful heart, and they with this sharp wit and art, which he so tempers, as no swain, that's loyal, does or mold complain. Doru's. I wowed fain see him. Damon. Go with me, Doru's, to yonder broad beech tree, there we shall meet him and Phyllis, Perigot, and Amaryllis, Titterus, and his dear Clora, Tom and Will, and their pastora, there we all dance, shake hands and sing, we have our laws, God bless the king. Is. Walton. Footnotes. 1. Have some with mirth and Mary Gielli, 1661. To my reverend friend the author of the synagogue. 1661. The synagogue, or the shadow of the temple. Sacred poems and private ejaculations. An imitation of Mr. George Herbert. The fourth edition corrected and enlarged. London, printed for Philemon Stevens, at the Gilded Lion in S.T. Paul's Churchyard, 1661. Page 67. To my reverend friend the author of the synagogue. Sir, I loved you for your synagogue, before I knew your person, but now love you more, because I find it is so true a picture of your mind, which tunes your sacred lyre to that eternal choir, where holy Herbert fits, O shame to profane wits, and sings his and your anthems, to the praise of him that is the first and last of days. These holy hymns had an ethereal birth, for they can raise sad souls above the earth and fix them there free from the world's anxieties and fear. Herbert, and you have power to do this, every hour I read you kills a sin, or lets a virtue in to fight against it, and the Holy Ghost supports my frailties, lest the day be lost. This holy war, taught by your happy pen, the Prince of Peace approves. When we poor men neglect our arms, double you are circumvested with a world of harms. But I will watch, and ward, and stand upon my guard, and still consult with you, and Herbert, and renew my vows, and say, well fare his, and your heart, the fountains of such sacred wit and art, is, wa, epitaph on his second wife, and Ken, 1662, in Worcester Cathedral. The event is thus recorded by Walton in his family prayer book. And Walton died the 17th of April, about one o'clock in that night, and was buried in the Virgin Mary's Chapel, in the cathedral in Worcester, the twentieth day. Ex terris MS here lieth buried so much as could die of Anne, the wife of Isaac Walton, 
who was a woman of remarkable prudence, and of the primitive piety, her great and general knowledge being adorned with such true humility, and blessed with so much Christian meekness, as made her worthy of a more memorable monument. She died. Alas, that she is dead, the 17th of April, 1662, aged 52. Study to be like her. Letter to Edward Ward. 1670. Preserved among the Mrs. in the Library of Trinity College, Dublin. First printed in. Notes and Queries. May 17, 1856. For my worthy friend Mr. Edward Ward, A.T.T. Rodan Temple, near unto Leicester. A.T.T. Mr. Babington's A.T.T. Rodan Temple. S.R. I came well from Winton to London, about three weeks past. At that time I left Duar Hawkins well, and my dafter, after agreed danger of childbirth, not very well, but by a late letter from him, I hear they be both in good health. The doctor did tell me a gown and some books of YRS were in danger to be lost, though he had made, at a distance, many inquiries after them, and entreated others to do so too, but yet ineffectually. He therefore entreated me to undertake a search, and I have done it so successfully that upon Thursday the twenty-fourth instant they were d.d. to that letter carrier that ends at the Rose in Smithfield, and with them the life of M.R. George Herbert, and three others, wrapped up in a paper and directed to you at Rodan Temple, the book not tied to the bundle, but of itself. The bundle cost me threes. A.D. Carriage to London, and I hope it will now come safe to your hands. What I have to write more is my hereby wishes for wire happiness, for I am wire affec. Friend and seruent, Isaac Walton. Newar 26, 1670. If you incline to write to me, direct your letter to be left at M.R. Grinsels, a grocer in King Street in Westminster. Much good do you with the book, W.C.H. I wish better. Dedication of the third edition of Reliqui Wadaniani. 1672. Reliqui Wadaniani, or a collection of lives, letters, poems, with characters of sundry personages, and other incomparable pieces of language and art. Also additional letters to several persons, not before printed. By the curious pencil of the ever-memorable Sir Henry Wotton, Kate, late provost of Eton College. The third edition, with large editions. London, printed by T. Roycroft, Farrar, Marriott, F. Titon, T. Collins and J. Ford, 1672. To the Right Honorable Philip Earl of Chesterfield, Lord Stanhope of Shelford. My Lord, I have conceived many reasons why I ought in justice to dedicate these relics of your great uncle, Sir Henry Wotton, to your lordship, some of which are that both your grandmother and mother had a double right to them by a dedication when first made public, as also for their assisting me then, and since with many material informations for the writing his life, and for giving me many of the letters that have fallen from his curious pen, so that they being now dead, these relics descend. To you, as heir to them, and the inheritor of the memorable Bakhtin Palace, the place of his birth, where so many of the ancient, and prudent, and valiant family of the Waddens lie now buried, whose remarkable monuments you have lately beautified, and to them added so many of so great worth, as hath made it appear, that at the erecting and adorning them, you were above the thought of charge, that they might, if possible. For twas no easy undertaking, hold some proportion with the merits of your ancestors. 
my lord, these are a part of many more reasons that have inclined me to this dedication, and these, with the example of a liberty that is not given, but now too usually taken by many scriblers, to make trifling dedications, might have begot a boldness in some men of as mean as my mean abilities to have undertaken this. But indeed, my lord, though I was ambitious enough of undertaking it, yet, as Sir Henry Wotton hath said in a piece of his own character, that he was condemned by nature to a bashfulness in making requests, so I find myself, pardon the parallel, so like him in this, that if I had not had more reasons than I have yet expressed, these alone had not been powerful enough to have created a confidence in me to have attempted it. Two of my unexpressed reasons are, give me leave to tell them to your lordship and the world, that Sir Henry Wotton, whose many merits made him an ornament even to your family, was yet so humble, as to acknowledge me to be his friend, and died in a belief that I was so, since which time, I have made him the best return of my gratitude for his condescension, that I have been able to express, or he capable of receiving, and am pleased with myself for so doing. My other reason of this boldness is an encouragement, very like a command, from your worthy cousin and my friend, Mr. Charles Cotton, who hath assured me that you are such a lover of the memory of your generous uncle, Sir Henry Wotton, that if there were no other reason than my endeavors to preserve it, yet, that that alone would secure this dedication from being unacceptable. I wish that nor he nor I be mistaken, and that I were able to make you a more worthy present. My lord, I am and will be your humble and most affectionate servant, Isaac Walton. February 27, 1672. Letter to Marriott. 1673. The original is preserved in Corpus Christi College, Oxford, and was printed for the first time in Sir Harris Nicholas' Life of Walton, Pickering, 1837-79-80. M.R. Marriott. I have received Bentivoglio, and in it M.R. Hers. Life. I thank you for both. I have since I saw you received from M.R. Milington so much of M.R. Hails his life as M.R. Faringdon had writ, and have made many inquiries concerning him of many that knew him, namely of M.R.S. Pownie of Windsor, at whose house he died, and as I have heard, so have set them down, that my memory might not lose them. M.R. Mounte did at my being in Windsor promise me to summon his memory, and set down what he knew of him. This I desired him to do at his best leisure, and write it down, and he that knew him and all his affairs best of any man is like to do it very well, because I think he will do it affectionately, so that if M.R. Fullman make his queries concerning that part of his life spent in Oxford, he will have many, and good, I mean true informations from M.R. Farringdon, till he came thither, and by me and my means since he came to Eton. This I write that you may inform M.R. Fullman of it, and I pray let him know I will not yet give over my queries, and let him know that I hope to meet him and the Parliament in Health and in London in October, and then and there deliver up my collections to him. In the meantime I wish him and you health, and pray let him know it either by your writing to him, or sending him this of mine. God keep us all in his favor, his and your friend to serve you, Isaac Walton. Winchester, August 24, 1673. Preface to Dalma and Clearchus. 1678. Dalma and Clearchus, A Pastoral History, in Smooth and Easy Verse. Written long since, by John Chalkhill, Esq., 
an acquaintance and friend of Edmund Spencer. London, printed for Bench. Took at the ship in S. Paul's Churchyard, 1683. The Preface. The reader will find in this book, what the title declares, a pastoral history, in smooth and easy verse, and will in it find many hopes and fears finely painted, and feelingly expressed. And he will find the first so often disappointed, when fullest of desire and expectation, and the later, so often, so strangely, and so unexpectedly relieved, by an unforeseen providence, as may beget in him wonder and amazement. And the reader will here also meet with passions heightened by easy and fit descriptions of joy and sorrow, and find also such various events and rewards of innocent truth and undissembled honesty, as is like to leave in him, if he be a good natured reader, more sympathizing and virtuous impressions, than ten times so much time spent in impertinent, critical, and needless disputes about religion. And I heartily wish it may do so. And I have also this truth to say of the author, that he was in his time a man generally known, and as well bell out, for he was humble, and obliging in his behavior, a gentleman, a scholar, very innocent and prudent, and indeed his whole life was useful, quiet, and virtuous. God send the story may meet with, or make all readers like him. I. W. 1 May 7, 1678. Footnotes. 1. The poem of Thelma and Clearchus was left in an unfinished state. It terminates abruptly with the half-line. Thelma lives. Upon which Walton adds. And here the author dewide, and I hope the reader will be sorry. Letter to John Aubrey. 1680. The original is amongst Aubrey's Mises in the Ashmolean Museum. Annexed to it is the following note by Aubrey. This account I received from Mr. Isaac Walton, who wrote Dr. Down's Life, and C. Decem. 2. 1680, he being then 87 years of age. This is his own handwriting, I. See Walton's Lives, with notes and the life of the author by Thomas Sook, 3rd edition. York, 1817. Volume 2. Pages 353 to 356. For why are friends curious this? I only knew Ben Johnson, but my lord of Winton knew him very well, and says he was in the sixth, that is, the uppermost form in Westminster Skull, at which time his father died, and his mother married a bricklayer, who made him, much against his will, help him in his trade. But in a short time, his schoolmaster, M.R. Camden, got him a better employment, which was to attend or accompany a son of Sir Walter Raleigh's in his travels. Within a short time after their return, they parted, I think not in cold blood, and with a love suitable to what they had in their travels, not to be commended. And then Ben began to set up for himself in the trade by which he got his subsistence and fame, of which I need not give any account. He got in time to have a one hundred pounds a year from the king, also a pension from the city and the like from many of the nobility and some of the gentry, W.C.H. was well paid, for love or fear of his railing in verse, or prose, or both. My lord told me, he told him he was, in his long retirement and sickness, when he saw him, which was often, much afflicted, that he had profaned the scripture in his plays, and lamented it with horror, yet that, at that time of his long retirement, his pension, so much as came in, was due to a woman that gurned him, with whom he lewed and died near the abbey in Westminster, and that neither he nor she took too much care for next wake 
and would be sure not to want wine, of WCHE. Usually took too much before he went to bed, if not oftener and soner. My lord tells me, he knows not, but thinks he was born in Westminster. The question may be put to Mr. Wood very easily upon what grounds he is positive as to his being born there. He is a friendly man, and will resolve it. So much for Brow Ben. You will not think the rest so tedious as I do this. For why are two and three key of Mr. Hill, and Bilingsley, I do either know nor can learn anything worth telling you. For why are two remaining key of Mr. Warner, and Mr. Harriet this? Mr. Warner did long and constantly LODG near the water stairs, or market, in Woolstable. Woolstable is a place not far from Charing Cross, and near to Northumberland House. My lord of Winchester tells me he knew him, and that he said he first found out the circulation of the blood, and discovered it to Dr. Harry, who said that twas he himself that found it, for which he is so memorably famous. Warner had a pension of forty L. A year from that Earl of Northumberland that lay so long a prisoner in the Tor, and some allowance from Sir Though, Aylesbury, and with whom he usually spent his sumer in Windsor Park, and was welcome, for he was harmless and quit. His winter was spent at the wool stable, where he died in the time of the Parliament of 1640, of which or whom he was no lower. Mr. Harriet, my lord tells me, he knew also that he was a more gentile man than Warner that he had one hundred and twenty pounds a year pension from the Cedril, who was a lower of their studies, and his lodgings in Sion House, where he thinks, or believes, he died. This is all I know or can learn for your friend, which I wish may be worth the time and trouble of reading it. I.W. Newar. 2280. Isaac Walton's Will. 1683. August the 9th, 1683. In the name of God, Amen. I, Isaac Walton, the elder of Winchester, being this present day in the ninetieth year of my age and in perfect memory for which praise be God, but considering how so vainly I may be deprived of both doth for make this my last will and testament as followeth. And first I do declare my belief to be that there is only one God who hath made the whole world and me and all mankind to whom I shall give an account of all my actions which are not to be justified but I hope pardon for the merits of my Savior Jesus. And because the profession of Christianity does at this time seem to be subdivided into Papist and Protestant, I take it to be at least convenient to declare my belief to be in all points of faith, as the Church of England now professeth. And this I do the rather, because of a very long and very true friendship with some of the Roman Church. And for my worldly estate, which I have neither got by falsehood or flattery or the extreme cruelty of the law of this nation, I do hereby give and bequeath it as followeth. Dot. First I give my son-in-law Dakar, Hawkins and to his wife, to them I give all my title and right of or in a part of a house and mop in Paternostero in London, which I hold by lease from the Lord Bishop of London for about fifty years to come and I do also give to them all my right and title of or to a house in Chancery Lane, London, where in MRS. Grainwood now dwelleth, in which is now about sixteen years to come. I give these two leases to them, they saving my executor from all damage concerning the same. And I do also give to my say dafter all my books this day at Winchester and Droxford, and whatever else I can call mine there, except a trunk of linen WCH I give my son Isaac Walton, but if he do not marry, 
or use the said linen himself, then I give the same to my granddaughter and Hawkins. And I give to my son Isaac all my right and title to a lease of Norrington Farm, which I hold from the Lord B.P. of Winton. And I do also give him all my right and title to a farm or land near to Stafford, which I bought of M.R. Walter Noel, I say, I give it to him and his hears forever, but upon the condition following. Namely, if my son shall not marry before he shall be of the age of forty and one year, or being married shall die before the said age and leave no son to inherit the said farm or land, or if his son or sons shall not live to attain the age of twenty and one year, to dispose otherways of it, then I give the said farm or land to the town or corporation of Stafford, in which I was born, for the good and benefit of some of the said town, as I shall direct and as followeth. But, first note, that it is at this present time rented for twenty-one li, tens, a year, and is like to hold the said rent, if care be taken to keep a the barn and housing in repair, and I would have and do give ten pound of the said rent, to bind out you really two boys, the sons of honest and poor parents to be apprentices to some tradesmen or handicraftmen, to the intent the said boys, may, the better afterward get their own living dot, and I do also give five pound yearly, out of the said rent to be given to some mead servant, that hath attained the age of twenty and one year, not less, and dwelt long in one service, or to some honest poor man's daughter, that hath attained to that age, to be paid her, at or on the day of her marriage. And this being done, my will is, that what rent shall remain of the said farm or land, shall be disposed of as followeth. First I do give twenty shillings you really, to be spent by the mire of Stafford and those that shall collect the said rent, and dispose of it as I have and shall hereafter direct. And that what money or rent shall remain undisposed of shall be employed to buy coals for some poor people, that shall most nigh them in the said town, the said coals to be delivered the last wake in January, or in every first wake in February. I say then, because I take that time to be the hardest and most pinching times with poor people. And God reward those that shall do this without partiality, and with honesty and a good conscience. And if the said mire and others of the said town of Stafford shall prove so negligent or dishonest as not to employ the rent by me given as intended and expressed in this my will, which God forbid, then I give the said rents and profits, of the said farm or land, to the town and chief magistrates or governors of Eccles Hall, to be disposed by them in such manner as I have ordered the disposal of it, by the town of Stafford, the said farm or land being near the town of Eccles Hall. And I give to my son-in-law Dr. Hawkins, whom I love as my own son, and to my dafter his wife, and my son Isaac to each of them a ring with these words or motto, Love my memory, I.W.O.B. at equals to the Lord B.P. of Winton a ring with this motto, A might for a million, I.W.O.B. at equals, and to the friends hereafter named I give to each of them a ring with this motto, A friend's farewell, I.W.O.B. at equals and my will is, the said rings be delivered within for tie days of my death, and that the price or value of all the said rings shall be L3S. 4D. A pace. I give to Dr. Hawkins Dr. Ardon's sermons, which I have heard preached, and read with much content. To my son Isaac I give Doc R. Sibs his soul's conflict, and to my daughter his bruised ride, desiring them to read them so, as to be well acquainted with them and I also give to her all my books at Winchester and Droxford, and whatever in those two places are or I can call mine, except a trunk of linen, 
which I gave to my son Isaac. But if he do not live to make use of it, then I give. The same to my grandafter, and Hawkins, and I give my dafter Dakar Hall's works which be now at Farnham. To my son Isaac I give all my books, not yet given, at Farnham Castell and a desk of prints and pictures, also a cabinet near my bed's head, in WCH are some little things that he will value, though of no great worth. And my will and desire is, that he will be kind to his Auntie Beecham and his Aunt Rose Ken, by allowing the first about fifty shilling a year in or for bacon and cheese, not more, and paying for Lee, a year toward the burden of her son's diet to M.R. John Whitehead. For his Auntie Ken, I desire him to be kin to her according to her necessity and his own ability. And I commend one of her children to braid up, as I have said I intend to do, if he shall be able to do it as I know he will, for they be good folky. I give to M.R. John Derbyshire the sermons of M.R. Antony Farringdon, or of Duar Sanderson, which my executor thinks fit to my servant, Thomas Edgehill I give five pound in money, and all my clothes linen and wallen except one suit of clothes, which I give to M.R. Hollenide and forty shirling, if the said Thomas be my servant at my death, if not my cloths only. And I give my old friend M.R. Richard Marriott ten pound in money, to be paid him within. Three. Months after my death. And I desire my son to shew kindings to him if he shall nide, and my son can spare it. And I do hereby will and declare my son Isaac to be my sole executor of this my last will and testament, and do our Hawkins, to see that he performs it, which I doubt not but he will. I desire my burial may be near the place of my death, and free from any ostentation or charge, but privately, this I make to be my last will, to which I only add the codicil for rings, this sixteen. Day of August, 1683. Wins to this will. Isaac Walton. The rings I give are as on the other side. To my brother John Ken. To my brother Beecham. To my sister his wife. To my sister his wife. To my brother Dr. Ken. To the lady and how. To my sister Pi. To M.R.S. King Dor Philip's wife. To M.R. Francis Morley. To M.R. Valentine Harcourt. To S.R. George Vernon. To M.R.S. Eliza Johnson. To his wife. To M.R.S. Mary Rogers. To his three dafters to M.R.S. Eliza Millward to M.R.S. Nelson. To M.R.S. Doro. Wallop. To M.R. Rich. Walton. To M.R. Will. Millward of to M.R. Palmer. Christchurch, Oxford. To M.R. Taylor. To M.R. John Darbyshire. To M.R. Though. Garrard. To M.R. Viewdville. To the Lord B.P. of Sarum. To M.R.S. Rock. To M.R. Read his servant. To M.R. Peter White. To my cuz. Dorothy Kenrick. To M.R. John Lloyd. To my cuz. Lewin. To my cuz grain cells to M.R. Walter Higgs. Widow to M.R. Cha Cotton. 16 M.R.S. Dalbin must not to M.R. Rich. Marriott. Be forgotten. 22. Note that several lines are blotted, out of this will for they are twice, repeated, and that this will is now, 
Isaac Walton signed and sealed, this twenty and fourth day of October 1683 in the presence of us. Wynne Sabra. Markland. Joss Taylor Thomas Crawley.